Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Action Radio. This is Greg Penglis coming to you from the historic district of downtown Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River. And now let's get into Action Radio. You know, I was just looking at the uh, the temperatures for Milton, Florida here. We're in the uh, the Panhandle, the the Gulf Coast, right on the water. Well, not right on the water, actually, right on the Blackwater River. And then, well, it's water, so I guess that counts. But I'm trying to think of the best. Uh, I'm looking at the best temperature for a bike ride. Uh, we have this beautiful Blackwater Trail, and we have some other wonderful places to ride around here. And of course, the best time is right now. <laughs> I got a show to do for the next three hours. By the time I get done with my show, it's going to be a lot warmer, but that's okay. So we've got uh, just a ton. Of, of topics of things that are happening. Uh, I'm just waiting for Brianna to check in. And when she's here, then um, we'll be all set uh, to go with her report, the government inquiry report. But uh, until then, let me just, um, the, the, oh, there she is. <laughs> it's funny, asking you shall receive. In that case, I won't talk about all the things I was going to talk about. I'll save them for later because I'd much rather hear what she wants to talk about. And so let me just uh, find Brianna's theme. And let's get going here with government inquiries. It's either under B or G. I have everything, all my, all my audio things are alphabetical. You would think I would know this by now. But this is, you wonder why I had trouble going through school? Simple things, numbers, number dyslexia, alphabet, just the basic things. I just, you know, I get great thoughts, but then simple stuff, totally screw up. All right, let's get on with government uh, inquiry. Be right back. She started as a guest on Action Radio, courtesy of our Constitution reporter, Amber Kemper. Both Brianna and Amber are graduates of Patriot Academy, a place where young folks get to practice writing and advocating legislation and being legislators in a mock session. Brianna immediately impressed all of us as someone we wanted on the show with her own report. With an insightful mind, asking and taking on complex questions, and a growing skill in sarcasm and satire, plus her study of government, history, the Constitution, and our founding, all of her skills and knowledge combine into something pretty incredible here on Action Radio. And now... The Government Inquiry Report with Brianna Cannon. Jerry really made you sound good. <laughs> good morning, Brianna. Good morning. So what's going on? How's your week been? Uh, revelation since our last chat. Um, are we still? Did you still want to cover UN stuff, or you got a bunch of other things going on? Because the world has just gone nuts <laughs> in like the last twenty-four hours. Um, with Tucker Carlson's report. So I want to get into that at some point uh, in our show here. It's like it's like our work, you know, the, the last, well, certainly three years of, of COVID oppression uh, that we've all been under. It's like it's all coming, uh, everybody's realizing that we were right all along. It's kind of fun. Something. what do we do now? Where are the new dragons to slay? I want to be on the forefront. I want to be on the cutting edge. If they're, if they're reporting all the stuff that we've been reporting, there's no point in us reporting it anymore. We need to find new targets of opportunity, new things where the deep state is ruining our lives, new oppression, new slavery, new Marxism, new, new, new. I want to go after it. You know me. I, I, I can't sit still. I'm very restless. So once again, good morning, Brianna. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I don't know what the um, Tucker Carlson, Carlson thing is. Um, but, I mean, if you want to talk about it, you can. Um, we can do more on the agenda of 2030. Or um, I have some on, like, um, interesting questions of like uh, policies from Woodrow Wilson's presidency. Ooh, that sounds good. 
Yeah, I want to do that. Let me just tell you really quickly what happened last night because it was a classic. Um, the only reason Tucker Carlson is still on Fox News, given the fact that they've turned into a bunch of squishy liberals, uh, as opposed to the Marxists at CNN, uh, is because he's too popular. <laughs> they can't get rid of him. So what he did last night, and everybody's going to be talking about this. Uh, I've got it on my Facebook page. Uh, it's easy to find on YouTube. You should watch the whole episode when you get a chance because he went point by point by point. See, Tucker's got all the, the footage from January 6th, the real footage, the real surveillance stuff, all the stuff that the uh, Democrat, deep state, Republican, rhino, or as I call them, transgender Democrats, uh, have been hiding since January 6th of 2021. And he laid it out there and he showed the, the, vision, the version that they were showing at the January 6th hearings and it was all the news. Then he showed you the real footage and you realize how badly it was edited. Basically, everything about January 6th was a lie. Everything that came out of the January 6th committee was a lie. They're all in on it. They're all exposed. And they're such blatant liars. Um, and now everybody's seen it. You know, once it's on Tucker Carlson, of course, it goes right through the rest of the media because he's got, what, 4 million uh, listeners a night, which is a lot. You, you influence 4 million people, you know, and they tell, you know, 8 million other people, <laughs> you've got a groundswell. Because a lot of folks just aren't interested that much in politics. But this is a game changer. And now that it's made, you know, once you make Tucker Carlson, you're, you're talking about mainstream news, even though it's Fox and even though, you know, it's cutting edge stuff. Now, everybody knows they lied. Everybody knows these people lied. And it's not that big a leap. And this is where I think it's so interesting. If, you know, the, the question people have to be asking, and the one I want to put in everybody's brain, if they lied about everything about January 6th and everything about the January 6th committee, you know, did they lie, as we are, as we've been saying all along, about the 2020 election? And this is the way back to the 2020 election, which I've always said, if you don't fix 2020, there are no more elections. There is, 2022 was a botch, 2020, 20, oh, slow down, Greg, 2024 will also be screwed up too. You've got to fix 2020. And now it looks like they're, they're sort of working their way back to it from January 6th. Then we can go back to December 15th and the Trump electors. Then we can go back to the actual election. But this, this is, this is huge, what happened last night. So uh, definitely recommend like I say, it's on my page. You can just find it on YouTube. You know, just get uh, March uh, 6th, you know, Tucker Carlson episode. The full episode's available. It's that good. Back to you, Brianna. Yeah, I, I heard it. They, um, he had gotten those and were going to release them. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't realize he did it last night. But, yeah. Well, apparently they had um, uh, access to software, and, and this is, I think it's either the Capitol Hill police or, or someone, because 40,000 hours, the whole point of giving them all 40,000 hours was it would take them years to get through it. Well, they didn't have to spend years going through it. They only spent a couple of weeks, and what they did was they had software uh, with facial recognition stuff, and they could go, instead of showing hours and hours of empty rooms or, or you know, back corner gardens or security points or doors or things like that, they went right to the stuff where people were, and with, uh, with some facial recognition, they could point people out, like Ray Epps, uh, Brian Sicknick, who was alive, you know, hours after they said he'd been murdered by the Trump supporters, you know, and it was, and it was just fascinating. And, uh, and the, the shaman, you know, the guy that dressed up with the, the, the bullhorns and the big hat, you know, and they made him out to be this, this terrorist Marxist, you know, and they're all saying, kill him. He's terrible. He's, he's a threat. And you see him walking through with the Capitol Hill police. Hi, guys. Where are we going next? <laughs> it's really funny. It just throws out all the, uh, all the rumors. We all know this is true. We just didn't have the footage, but we knew this happened because we know Trump supporters. And so through the logic and reason filter, we, we knew they were lying from, uh, from when they first started lying. But that's why I think you'll find it interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, tell me about Woodrow Wilson. Tell me what you found, what kind of questions was going on. Because that is a pivotal point. We need to study that period in our history because I think 1913 is the year that Freedom died. 
um, just for the three things that happened during 1913. It happened during Woodrow Wilson. And then, of course, 1914, we have World War the year I. That so, freedom. Freedom in this country. There are three things that took oh, away most okay. of uh, a lot of our freedom were the income tax uh, amendment, which allowed the feds to tax individuals directly instead of going through the states like they're supposed to. Uh, it took away the Senate vote in the state legislatures and gave gave that to you know people also when it should have stayed with the states. And the states lost all their representation in Congress and have been subordinate ever since. Uh, and the third one is the Federal Reserve Act, which took our money out of the Treasury and gave it to the private banks. So those are the three most dangerous things that have happened, you know, in the 1900s. It all happened in 1913, and all three of those need to be reversed. So what did you find? Yeah. I found those, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> those little tidbits. <laughs> yeah, those, those little stepping stones <laughs> along the way, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I know, like, they passed, um, like, during his presidency, they passed the eight-hour um, law for workers. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Um, I didn't know when that was, but I knew it was. Yeah. Okay. And an antitrust act mm-hmm. and the Simmons tariff, which I don't really know what the Simmons tariff is. I'm going to look, look it into up. that. But Antitrust yeah. is huge because companies used to be called trusts. In other words, they would hold that holding companies. And, and rather than have a corporate breakup, is what we talk about today. They talked about a trust breakup. Um, the biggest one, if I remember, was Standard Oil. Uh, is that on your list of things to uh, to look up? Or is that on your list no, of uh, trusts? Okay. Well, let's add it. <laughs> Tell me what, what companies is there. I'd be curious. But that was one of the biggest. That's John D. Rockefeller, right? So John D. Rockefeller had Standard Oil. Uh, Standard Oil. That was his company, Standard Oil. Uh, pretty bland name. <laughs> he was a pretty bland guy. He was just, you know, filthy rich. Uh, I shouldn't say filthy. I, mean, I, I don't know that for sure, but he was certainly rich. I, I, I don't, shouldn't use derogatory terms about rich people. But anyway, his company was so big and he was so powerful. Uh, he changed a lot of things. He changed medicine, changed the medical schools, made them petroleum-based medicine, uh, and he controlled everything um, from the uh, the drilling, uh, the exploration, to the refining, to the gas stations. And they call that vertical integration. So if one company controls all phases of a market, so you're supposed to have, you know, one company should drill for oil, another company should refine it, another company should transport it, and another company should sell it retail. That's ideally how a free market works. And if you have one company that does all those things, well, they can keep raising prices because basically they're paying themselves. So if the gas station pays for gas from the refiner who's owned by Standard Oil uh, and the refiner pays, you know, the driller who's owned by Standard Oil and the driller, you know, pays Rockefeller, you know, to drill, you know, all along the way, uh, Rockefeller makes money. That's called vertical integration. And this is your economics lesson for today. (laughs) I never heard that term before, the vertical. Yeah, It's called vertical Um, integration. Yeah. So in yeah. other words, stacking companies with all, in other words, one company owns all phases of an entire market or an entire means of production of, of, of whatever it is that the good or, or product uh, is or service. So that's, that's what they call it. And sometimes companies get so big and powerful. Uh, Ma Bell, which used to be AT&T before they were broken up. AT&T was huge. Uh, and it was the phone company, the Bell phone company. And they owned uh, all the phones. You had to rent them from AT&T. Uh, they owned all the phone lines. They owned uh, all the switchboards. They owned uh, everything. And that's why they were broken up, because they were so powerful, they could charge what they wanted. You couldn't buy a phone. AT&T didn't want you to buy a phone. You had to rent a phone. Well, if you rent a phone, you're paying money to them every month for your phone, as opposed to buying it. Once people could start buying phones, we all bought, went out and bought phones. You, see, you don't think of anything of buying a cell phone right now, do you? You just go and buy one, right? Yeah. 
Okay, well, as the time was, you couldn't do that. You'd have to rent it from the, the phone company to use it. Oh, that's different. Yeah, that I never heard about purchase. that. That's, that's interesting. Okay, well, yeah, that's, a, that's my job to tell you things you've never heard of. And then for you to go look them up and come back and go, oh, here's what I found. <laughs> I think that's how this works. <laughs> or at least it seems to be what we're doing here. Okay, no, go ahead. So tell me, I've, I've been talking way too much already. Tell me about Woodrow Wilson. What'd you find? So um, specifically the election of 1912, mm-hmm. um, it says that it was the first primary that they had. Mm. Before that, they didn't have any primaries. And okay. I found that really interesting because, you know, as you know, I just assume that we always kind of have a primary or that it just kind of mm-hmm. developed as states developed or like I never really thought about it, mm-hmm. but um, it was what they wanted to do is they wanted to make the candidates less beholden to the donors and I guess you could say like the parties and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, they wanted them to be like more individualized that way. Um, but I think it seems to have had the opposite effect. How about that? <laughs> because it became so expensive. I mean, it became so expensive because mm-hmm. they have to have a primary too that mm-hmm. they needed donors even more. And there were more. Yeah, I think it's what's that called? The law of unintended consequences. That's one of the, that's how that's how politics basically functions. Functions, I think. Okay, so tell me what you understand about primaries, and and uh, did you find out how they used to do it? Um, I assume that like before the primaries, they just had people on the ballots of uh, the like whichever candidate that they wanted. We we're just going to go on the ballots. Um. Mm-hmm. is what I assume would have happened beforehand, but I haven't actually looked into what happened beforehand. Well, let's, let's, but I so know let's try the primary... logic. And... Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I got an idea for you. Uh, no, go ahead. Um, I know that primaries are basically decided by a state, like where states decide primary, how they do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I know there's like two or three states that do it differently, but it's where people vote on who they want on the ballot, like for each party generally, where like you can only vote for, like if you're a Republican, you can only vote for Republicans on the ballot mm-hmm. um, for a primary. And then it goes to like the general election where um, you vote for the, I guess, top running candidate. Yeah, I think it's uh, we have a lot to we could spend a lot of time on primaries. It's actually a really good topic, and I don't think I know we haven't covered this before. But the way I think, have you ever heard the expression "smoke-filled rooms"? Do you know what I'm talking about? I've heard the expression, but I don't really understand it. Well, it literally was men with cigars <laughs> and, and pipes and everything else. But it, it, smoke-filled rooms literally were smoke-filled rooms. This is back when, when everybody smoked. So let's go back in history. But this is, this is Greg's logic and reason filter. So when elections were held in the 1700s, you know, there was no telecommunications. There was no, I mean, you had the telegraph uh, and you had newspapers, you know, but you didn't have mass media was not really developed. Um, no, you didn't have telegraph in the 1800s. I'm sorry. So 1700s. Horses and wagons. You know, you wanted to do something, you had to go to Washington. It might take you a couple of weeks. So bills were slow. Legislation was slow. Congress met for a certain amount of time, and then everybody went home back to their farms. 
So it was the government was very different in the 1700s, but we weren't there very long. 1800s, eventually we got the Transcontinental Railroad, we got the Telegraph, we got the newspapers, printing presses, things like that. So communication was, was much more widespread, but it still took time um, to reach a whole bunch of people. So if you're doing a political party uh, and your power base is Washington, then and you're representing a party, then what I think happened, and I don't know, this is, this is uh, I'm just pure speculation at this point, um, was that the party brokers, the, the rich and powerful, the industrialists, like the John D. Rockefellers, uh, the, the donors, the donor class, the people that kept the campaigns going, large corporations, wealthy individuals, maybe foundations, who knows what they had. Uh, they would have gotten together and decided in each party who they were going to nominate for president. Now, one of the biggest problems, I believe, in this country is the political party. The fact that we have a Democrat party and a Republican party is remarkably exclusionary. Remember when we talked about the, um, the, the political – in fact, I actually wrote an article. Did I, did I send you my article on the graphic depiction of liberty? I don't know if I did. It's on my Substack thing. Remember when we talked about left and right? Um, you know, had, go ahead. You sent me one, but I don't think it was that one. Okay. Well, you, check my Substack regularly. <laughs> I'm very prolific. <laughs> I put out a lot of articles. Um, but the latest one is a, a graphic depiction of where liberty is with freedom on the vertical axis. And on the horizontal axis, we had tyranny on the left and anarchy on the right. Remember when we talked about where we were going to put the parties and where we were going to put the founders and where we were going to put the various political institutions, right? We, yeah. we put, put mostly on the left. Um, and so the problem with political analysis right now is that people think of the Republicans as right-wing and the Democrats as left-wing, but if you look on the overall political scale, they occupy a very narrow band. But because these two parties so dominate politics, the candidates that we get are maybe not the candidates the American people would want. We get to choose from the candidates the parties give to us, right? So... Is that, you know, so, so that's actually exclusionary. We don't have a green candidate that's, that's huge. We don't have a libertarian candidate. We don't have a constitution party, Christian constitution party. We don't have, uh, you know, the anarchist party if there was one. Um, but there's a lot of, uh, the, in California, we used to have a bunch of different parties. The Peace and Freedom Party. I think there was an American Labor Party, the Communist Party, <laughs> you know, all these groups. And, and, of course, they never got anywhere because the only two parties that got any recognition in the media, uh, the parties that set the debate, the parties that put forward the candidates, the only two party representatives that were on the ballot were the lead Democrat and the lead Republican. It's an ex- incredibly limiting exclusionary process. And so they used to do it in the smoke-filled rooms. And, and the, the, the rich and powerful would get together and they'd pick their party's nominee. And then they went to conventions uh, where they all voted and picked their nominee. And then eventually they said, well, we want to bring the whole country into this. Let's get the people involved. And I think that's when primaries came about. And so a primary was for anybody who was a member of the party to vote. Uh, I guess they tried to make it you know, more democratic, as, as one would say, um, so that everybody could vote in the primary. Uh, and that would help pick the nominee for the party it doesn't mean they had to choose, but uh, the, in the course of the primary, they would get delegates and then they put the delegates together and then they would get the nomination of the party. And so it's still not an elected office. It's just the nominee of the party. But that's, I think, how it came about. And as telecommunications got better, as media got better, as TV got bigger, uh, I think people wanted more say in it. I think I'm about to sneeze. I'm going to have to mute myself. <laughs> nope, I think we're okay. If I mute myself and disappear, it just, it just, I'm just saving the world from a very loud noise <laughs> near a microphone. Um, but I think that's how it happened. So that's how we got primaries so that people could vote 
and pick candidates and get away from the, quote, the smoke-filled rooms where a few party bosses would pick the nominee for president and people would have to choose who the party bosses picked. I think it's happened is we're still picking for the party. So the party bosses are still picking, but we're still going through a primary process anyway. It's kind of a charade. So based on all that, yeah. what do you think? Yeah, that, that's really accurate. I was um, – I don't remember this fully in context, but I remember – learning about how specifically Woodrow Wilson, the um, managers of his party and stuff were going off and on on choosing him, and they were having a lot of problems in finding a really good candidate. But um, I guess since Roosevelt and Taft were in such a conflict with each other, uh, it gave him an extra boost. So if I remember, Roosevelt was president before – this is Teddy Roosevelt we're talking about for those who are – Date-wise challenge. We've had a couple of Roosevelt's, FDR and Teddy. Teddy's my favorite. FDR, eh, socialist, but he did well in World War II. I mean, he really led the country as far as getting us, uh, getting the act together, this country, you know, and, um, you know, taking on both Germany and Japan in World War II. However, <laughs> before that, the Depression was an absolute socialist and really messed things up for us. But Teddy Roosevelt, one of my heroes, fabulous, just amazing guy. He was in combat. You know, he, he did everything. He was police commissioner, I think, of New York, and then became a governor and then president. He, uh, give me help my timeline here. He, I think he was he either served one term um, and he didn't make the party nominee of the Republicans. They had William Howard Taft, if I remember. So Teddy Roosevelt ran as an independent and they split the vote and that's what allowed Woodrow Wilson to become president. Is that how it happened? I'm just going by memory here. Possibly. I'm not really completely sure either. Okay. So, we need, so, so Woodrow Wilson becomes president. Woodrow Wilson. Tell, so tell me about him. What do you know about him? Um, I know something like the policies that he instituted um, that I was uh-huh. saying um, a little bit earlier. Um, okay. I know that he wanted more of like a parliamentary system instead. Oh, he's a monarchist. Um, Is he a monarchist? Does he believe in the monarchy? <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to be king? Um, no, I'm sure this is a serious question, actually. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if he wanted to be like a king or anything, but I think he he definitely was big on central government. And he wanted a bigger central government, so I think okay. his idea of that uh, parliamentary system was more of a, a central role and a one more like the one commanding voice has a lot more power. I think I think is what you know he was going for. Um, yeah, he wanted to be he king. He hated like the separation <laughs> of powers. He's like yeah. a huge federalist. Okay. Well, see, I, I've decided I'm an anti-federalist. You know, I used to call myself constitutional independent. That takes too long. So I'm an anti-federalist. If, if you want to question where my views come from, well, because I, I read the anti-federalist papers and I happen to agree with them. Uh, the federal government is too big, too strong, and has completely subordinated the states. And so this is uh, – oh, so the oh, so the paper I think I uh, – article I think I gave you was The Nation of Government, where I treat Washington as a country, and the states become colonies. Yeah. What do you think of that? <laughs> it was kind of funny. Oh, okay. So my my critic says I'm funny. Okay. Any other comments? You don't have to. Yeah. I mean, it's just you know my article. I yeah. I mean, it is. I can <laughs> see it though. Well, this is where I like to write about things that uh, first of all nobody else does, and 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 secondly, new ways of thinking. So Woodrow Wilson. Um, do you, do you, did you look into how World War I uh, played into this? Because that's what followed 19, 
13 was the bad year for all these things that went through. And a lot of people question whether the federal income tax was actually legitimately passed or they just rammed it through in a, in a fraud election, much like uh, what put Brandon in the White House today. So this kind of stuff's been going on for a while. Uh, I'm not sure about the Federal Reserve Act. That, that probably was duly voted for because that was an act of Congress. Um, but the two constitutional changes, um, getting the, taking the senators from being elected by state legislatures and giving them to, quote, the people in an act of democracy, which we're not, uh, and the Federal Reserve Act taking our money uh, from U.S. dollars and making them Federal Reserve notes, those were horrible changes. Well, those are both constitutional amendments, which means the states ratified them. I mean, they actually did this with their eyes open. It's like prohibition, idiots. Yeah. Um, with World War, I mean, mm-hmm. he wasn't really doing much in the presidency at that time. I mean, they said okay. that he was kind of out of it, um, and he wasn't really focused on anything to do with the presidency. He wasn't really doing his job. Mm-hmm. Um, and they said that, you know, they kind of just ignored the World War at first, you know, like he kind of acted like it wasn't happening, didn't pay attention until the Lusitania sank. Um, when was that? So the date? I don't know the date. Oh come on, you got no details. <laughs> <laughs> Let's look it up because I, I think it was before. Was it during World War One? Because Lusitania is an interesting study. So there were two ships by the the Cunard yeah, I mean, Line. The Cunard Line, this is from memory again, the Cunard Line, I think, had the, the Mauritania and the Lusitania. The Mauritania had a long and distinguished career. The Lusitania was torpedoed by a German U-boat. Back to you. Do you remember those ships? Do you remember the ships of the White Star Line? you remember the most famous ship from the White Star Line? Um, I don't know what the White Star Line is. <laughs> I haven't learned that. But you know the I know ship. that this was... Have you heard the Titanic? I know what. The Titanic? Oh, that yeah, was... I know the Titanic. Okay, I so that was the White Star Which Line. One? Okay, so the Titanic sank in 1912. Hit an iceberg. Uh, it's made in voyage because they were stupid. Because they got all these warnings for icebergs, and they kept their lights on. They went at full speed, and the rudder was too small. And they didn't have enough lifeboats. Morons. What the hell were they thinking? Sorry, I'm language. Um, so the, so the, the Titanic sunk in 1912. Woodrow, everything collapsed in 1913. World War One starts in 1914. These are pivotal years in world history. I mean, they're absolutely critical. Now, I, I've forgotten when Woodrow Wilson was first elected. Did he serve one term or two terms? And when was he elected? Um, I'm, I want to say two, but I'm not for sure. Let me see real fast. Okay, and then we'll get to your questions because I'm curious where we're uh, – where you're going with this, but it's, it's a really interesting period in our history. Uh, I'm convinced that World War I uh, is what caused World War II, that it was never finished, uh, and that the worldwide depression in the middle set the stage for Hitler uh, and Mao and uh, Stalin and all these dictators to, and uh, um, even Hirohito, the emperor of Japan, just to gain incredible power uh, as the world was in a depression and the leaders came forward and said, we'll give you bread, we'll make things prosperous. All you have to do is you know, die for your country. Or as George Patton said, make some other, you know, so-and-so die for their country. <laughs> you should watch the movie Patton with George C. Scott. <laughs> anyway, what'd you get? Woodrow Wilson. Um, yeah, it was two terms. Okay. But he had a stroke. And so he, rumor has it, his wife was actually the acting president, much like today. 
<laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, Brandon's had two brain aneurysms. That's that's medically documented. I'm not I'm not I'm not just you know throwing out insults here. Uh, he is physically incapacitated by two brain aneurysms. Those cause brain damage. So you know, I mean, she shouldn't be there, but that's not the point. That's not the story. So, so what were your questions? What were the things that you found to ask about the the, the Wilson administration? Um, there was actually one thing that I wanted to go back to. So, sure, the income tax was mm-hmm. the Underwood tariff, and it turns out that the Simmons tariff is the same thing as the Underwood tariff. Like it's called the Underwood Simmons tariff. I didn't realize that okay. they were the same thing. I didn't even. I've Simmons never heard of the Underwood different. tariff. Uh, tell me, can you explain those? That's new to me. So Underwood yeah, tariff. That's, yeah, that's the income tax. It um, to raise hmm. the revenue for government, they change the income tax policies. So how was how did the tariff work? What were what were they tariffing that they were actually taxing? Was it on income directly? Um, I thought they wanted to reduce the tariffs. Okay, so so do you know what a tariff is? Yeah, they're um, basically like taxes or fees on um, importing or exporting goods. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So the government before the income tax was a whole lot smaller, which is where it should be today. Uh, it was funded by what they call duties. And so a tariff or a duty. So in other words, uh, customs, the whole point of customs and the customs houses, there was basically, you know, it was the revenue department. They were in the treasury department because they, they were, their job was to collect money on all the goods that were coming in, and that's how trade policy works. So in other words, if, if a country is charging you know, X amount of dollars for us to bring in um, hammers, <laughs> you know, American-made hammers, American steel, you know, into China, and China says, well, we don't want all your hammers. You know, we, we want to make our own hammers. We're going to protect our industries. We're going to charge your hammers you know, 10 bucks to come in the country. And so now your hammers are more expensive, so you can't sell as many. Okay, fine. We're going to take your, you know, pound of rice, and we're going to make your rice more expensive because you're making our hammers more expensive. That's, those are tariffs. And so trade policy is based around how much countries charge. Now, people said they want a free market. Well, you know, Canada, I think, charges 600% tariff on dairy products because they want to protect their dairy industry. 600%. That's a lot. So effectively, I don't think we, we export a whole lot of, uh, you know, dairy products to Canada because it's too expensive. So should we charge them the same thing? But anyway, so tariffs funded the government because the government did a whole lot less. And so the government, if it, let's just follow through what you said earlier, that Wilson wanted a stronger government, wanted a more central government, wanted bigger powers to the federal government. Well, that takes more money, right? So they had to raise more money. How am I doing? Is that about how things went? Yeah. Okay. So what, what were these, do you know how much these tariffs were and what they were placed on? And, and I mean, you, you can't have a tariff on income. I'm not sure about that. Tell me. What, uh, how about these two tariffs? Um, I mean, putting it in, like, the word tariff makes it kind of confusing to think about. But, I mean, they do tax income, um, like, when you receive it or you give an income to an employer. Like, if you give the money or take away, they tax it. So, I mean, if you think of it in that kind of way, I mean, I guess you could say, yeah, it's a, a tariff on it. Um, <laughs> I guess if you no, shuffle okay. it around we, we can, a little bit. We, we can we can argue these things and wrestle them out. Like I say, I don't expect to. I mean, neither of us to to know all this stuff that we're talking about. It's just, but it's fun to speculate. So a tariff would be misnamed then. If it's a tax, the difference between a tax and a, a tariff is placed on another country's goods coming into the United States, or our goods placed on, uh, our, or or their tariffs on us for our goods going to their country. So I think of tariffs as international trade. 
I think of a tax is a, is a necessary expenditure of governor that a government that they take from sales. There's a sales tax. Now they have an income tax. There's a property tax. Uh, there's a capital gains tax. Uh, those are the big ones. Well, so, so let's just go with those. So they tax different economic activity in order to fund their operation. And then, of course, we'll get into borrowing another time. So that's how it's supposed to work. So the question always is, are they taxing for the necessary functions of government, or are they just going nuts? But if they wanted more money, uh, an income tax uh, is the way to do it, especially with withholding. So somewhere along the way, we, we got the income tax, like, say, 1913. I'm just going from memory. Um, let me see. I think it was supposed to be only 2% of Americans were going to pay it. It was only, I, th- I don't know if they said temporary or not, but they put in the Constitution that changed. It used to be a portion tax based on population that the states, and I'm going to do some research on this, or maybe you know. So before we had the income tax, the states used to pay based on census, based on apportionment. You know, they would pay a percentage, they would pay tax based on the amount of people in the state to the federal government. So the, the, the citizens were never taxed directly. I want to go back to that system, actually that uh, the, the, the citizens should never, I want to, abol- I want to revoke that amendment, uh, abolish it, because we should not be taxed directly by the federal government ever. It should, we need the protection of our states. So the, the states, if they want, can tax us and then give a portion to the federal government, and the states and the federal government can work out how much that is. How'd that be for a system? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it seems like a good idea. I mean, I wouldn't know like the full effects of it or anything um, no. or how different it was yeah. then on we'll the kind of government corruption. But I mean, if you look at the yeah. the progression of it, it seems like there was less, you know, government control in the individual's lives. So, I mean, I would mm-hmm. think that would be a good plan to put in place to restore that. I, I mean, I was listening to one thing and was saying how, you know, the American government system is set up to where, the government should know virtually nothing about individual citizens, and the citizens should know everything about the government. And now it's flipped, where we know nothing about the government, but the government knows absolutely everything about individual citizens. That's a really great analogy. I had not heard that before, because I've applied that to the Second Amendment. I say what we have now is the Second Amendment in reverse, where the government gets all the guns they want, all the ammunition they want. They can carry their guns anywhere they want. They can accumulate any number of guns. There's 287,000 armed, what I call it, the infantry bureaucracy. Uh, there are, our bureaucrats, we have more armed bureaucrats than most countries have armies with soldiers. <laughs> We've got like 12 divisions, which is huge. I think we only had 20 in World War II of active soldiers. And we've got like 12 in Washington, 12 divisions of, of bureaucrat soldiers. Um, and so, so that's, and then of course they confiscate guns from the people, give us, you know, permits and licenses and restrictions and all kinds of things like that. So the second amendment has been reversed, but uh, yeah, it seems like exactly like you're saying, you know, the reversal, uh, the government knows everything about us. We don't know anything about them. So the IRS really, besides being an internal revenue service is really an internal information service for the government because everything goes in our, in our tax returns. Yeah. Hmm. Good point. Okay. And back to your question on, like, if you think um, the funding that they're wanting is more just, you know, going crazy, I think if you look at the size of how government has expanded, how much they're allowed to do, I think it's Mm -hmm. because they did just go crazy. And, you know, they got more and more and more funding that they didn't need. And so they built so much that they weren't allowed to build. And now they have all this control that they're not allowed to have. The nation of government. 
<laughs> the government becomes its own yes. country. You know, they become a country. I, I, you know, when I first hit upon that concept, and it was several months ago, it's taken me a while to get my Substack together because I'm busy. There's this show I do every day, and it takes a lot of time. Anyway, so I finally got to write the article I wanted to write probably six months ago uh, when it occurred to me that Washington was its own country. Um, they don't have passports, but they have credentials. They have government credentials. They have their own beltway. Uh, they, they tax the individual citizens like the, uh, the British monarchy taxed Americans as colonists. So the states are like colonies. They don't have a voice in Washington. They had that taken away. The rules and restrictions are increasing all the time. We, it's almost like we need a, a declaration of independence from Washington, that the states need to be independent again. Oh, there's a project for you. You want to write a paper? You want to, you want to blow your teachers away? Write a, write a state's declaration. Of, I'm serious. Write a state's declaration of independence, a redeclaration of independence where the states become independent. And you can use my article as a source. How bad it is. We're a nation of government. Washington, D.C. is its own country. You know, and then from that, you could expand. So what we need is a state, you know, a state declaration of independence where the states reaffirm. Uh, and you could put in it, uh, you know, the states get the senators back to, uh, to vote. The state legislatures get them back and whatever else you want to add to it. There's an idea for you. See the things we can do on this yeah, show? Like Look at all this stuff. Yeah, yeah where senators elect representatives. Or, uh, <laughs> um, gosh, my No, you're right. Traveled. But, yes. <laughs> yeah. Now, that'd be something. Um, um, you, you, what you might want to do is think about getting your own Substack column. Substack's easy. Anybody can write on Substack. You might even make money at it. I'm hoping to also get a whole bunch of paid subscribers. But uh, that would be an interesting article. You can just take my article and run with it and write your own article. Expand on it. Then you can read it on the show. Actually, you can read anything you've written on the show. <laughs> yeah, see? Well, I mean, you're, you're a, a fully-fledged uh, reporter now for a major international worldwide radio show. A pioneer in its class. So, yeah, you got some resume material. Let's, let's build up more. Start writing articles. Get them published. Get your name out there. Brianna, superstar. <laughs> <laughs> what else you got for me? Um, so actually going back a little bit, um, sure. the press conference, like the presidential press conference, I was mm-hmm. learning about this, and it mm. said that um, it started with Woodrow Wilson. because So he was saying how – they invited a bunch of reporters to come, and they were they were supposed to go and meet him and one on one and talk to him and ask questions and things is what was supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. But I guess like the managers or, or the people who were in charge at that point, I don't the even handlers. know who they were. <laughs> the the yeah. people behind the curtain. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> they put them all in one room at the same time. Hmm. And then. Woodrow Wilson came in and was like, well, okay. And he gave the first, like, speech, and he just told all the reporters everything. And then the reporters just took that, and they pu- they published it. And so basically he figured out that he can hold these press conferences and tell them whatever he wants to tell them. Then all of the news sources just write down whatever he says. And, like, it was the idea of, like, you know, he can control what is heard, you know, what people read, what the news is, just by having these press conferences. And so you oh, know, this they is continue to um, this is a regular thing. Yeah, and they're still abusing us with press conferences. But now they have idiots mm-hmm. like Jean-Pierre Rampal, Kareem Abdul, whatever her name is. 
<laughs> or you had, or you had Jen Psaki, the greatest liar to ever hold the position. So they replaced a, a liar with an idiot. <laughs> you know, but she's so stupid she can get away with lying because nobody – she doesn't even know she's lying. She thinks she's actually telling the truth. That's how dumb she is. You know, but she can speak well on camera. It's really scary. Saki was the dangerous one because she was brilliant. She actually knew she was lying and didn't care. So she's a total sociopath. But back to the press conference. This is fascinating. Okay, so what, so what, what mediums uh, did they have? What kind of news media? Uh, where, how could news travel back in 19, what was it, 1912 maybe, 1913? What do we have for news media? Um, I don't actually know if they had, I don't think they had television at that time. No, um, no television but... was uh, Mr. Farnsworth in 1947. Um, it's actually an interesting right. story. It's part of my tour in San Francisco. I know, I know all this weird stuff, right? So Farnsworth, this guy, he was an Iowa farmer, and he was thinking about how crops are, are made by plows that go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. He says, if I can do that with a picture, have it go back and forth like 600 times a second or whatever it was, he could actually make images uh, on a screen. So he's the inventor of the television. And it was in San Francisco in a little lab in an upper floor uh, down near the waterfront where Levi's, the Levi's Corporation is today. Part of my tour. I, I didn't know where this was. Anyway, so uh, I forgot his first name, but Farnsworth is his last name. Look at the invention of the television. Uh, it's really kind of interesting. And but TV, I think, was 1947. See, before that, well, so what they have, what else did they have for for um, for media before the TV? You're right, though. It wasn't invented um, until World War II. I think they just missed like the radio. Um, I think the radio was more like the 30s or 20s. Well, who invented uh, the radio? Let's, so let's, I think let's, they, test your, let's test your education. Who, who invented the radio? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Marconi. I'm not Marconi good invented at the radio. Trivia. Mar- <laughs> oh, it's okay. Well, you will be by the time you're, you spend another year here. I'll, I'll have your head full of so much stuff. Because when you, can, when you have all this information at your disposal, you can relate it. And it comes out at the weirdest times, like now. I mean, I, you know. Actually, I thank Marconi for inventing the radio on one of my shows, about, I think it was last week. So Marconi invented the radio sometime in the 1800s. Let's look it up and see, and see when. And it was called the wireless because before that they had the telegraph, and the telegraph was wired, uh, wired information. Yeah, right? it was like for Morse code before they used it for like actual mm-hmm. voices and stuff. Yeah, I'm going to talk about that too because that's, that's an interesting story also. So Marconi, I'm just going to take a wild guess, but look it up. I'm going to say 1830. He invented the, the first wireless. And then it caught on in the 60s and 70, 1860s, 1870s. When was the first? I could be wrong, though. It might be just later 1800s. When did Marconi invent the radio? 1895. And it's okay, called so the Wireless off. Telegraph. Ah, okay. All right. So, so good. So 1895 would have been after the Spanish-American War, which is 1890. And it would have been before World War I. So 1895. That was kind of a boom time. So, and it was called the Wireless Telegraph. So, so... So what was the so the wire telegraph was? Do you know how do you know how telegraph used to work? Um, oh, this is gonna be this is gonna be fun. I know the idea just, of it, but no, I don't know how. It works. Okay, no, go ahead. So tell me the idea of it. How how did, how did the wireless telegraph work with Morse code? I know that they use like little buttons to send the messages. Um, mm-hmm. I think it was called a key. It was, it, was, it was a keypad. So you said a key. And so what, what did it do? This is fun. 
What did <laughs> it do? Stuff like this. And how did it work? Yeah, it was really simple. It's, it's actually quite interesting. And I'll tell you why, why it applies. It's fascinating because it actually relates to computer technology. Should I tell you? Um, so I guess it – I'm sure because I'm just guessing. <laughs> That's okay. No problem. We only have 15 minutes left anyway, but this will, this will give you something to puzzle over. Okay, so Morse code was invented by Samuel Morse. I think he was British. And Samuel Morse came up with this series of dots and dashes because the telegraph – um, the way the key, the, the keypad worked, uh, it was like there was a person who sent, it, sent a message and, and someone who received it. And so what it did was send a series of, of dots and dashes. So the Morse, the, the telegraph key was either on or off, either completed an electric circuit or it was open. It, it was an open circuit. It was not completed. So what it did was it sent a signal to the other keypad on the other end to make clicks, dots and dashes based on whether the keypad by the sender was on or off. And if they wanted to make a, a dot, they just sent a very, they just tapped it. If they wanted to make a dash, they held it a little bit longer. Well, this is like the binary code, you know, ones and zeros, the binary code of computers, on, off, right? So our binary code for yeah. computers is like, a, is like a multi-trillion billion Google-ish, you know, amount of Morse code signals, basically, on, off, one, zero. It's the same thing. Well, oh, there's something to discuss before breakfast. That's interesting. I thought so too. I've never thought of How that before. How do people come up now. with these things? Uh, what the binary uh, binary code for Morse code? I literally thought of it just now. I'm sure somebody else has thought of it, but I just thought of it just now. Deductive reasoning. You know, like I say, we don't have to follow the answers. We just have to be smart enough to ask the questions. And then we can figure the rest out. So, but that's it. But that, but the Morse code, it's a is a binary on off. It's, so the signal is connected or it's not connected. That's how simple it is. So over the wires, the electric impulses are sent uh, either as an open signal or or or, or there's like a space where the keypad is up. But once it's connected, once you make connection between the where the the, the finger thing that you push down, once that connects to the metal, you connect the two pieces of metal, you complete an electric circuit, and that sends a signal down the line. And the length of that circuit determines whether it's a dot or a dash. So Marconi's hmm. revelation was that you didn't need dots and dashes, which means you didn't have to learn Morse code. So you could just speak, and it'd be picked up at the other end and relayed instantly. Uh-huh. So presidents can make speeches over the wireless telegraph and broadcast worldwide, as opposed to individual senders sending out the story by Morse code, which is very slow. Do you know the international distress code for Morse code? SOS. Mm -hmm. Do you know why those letters were picked? No. Because of the easiest to remember. S is three dots and O is three dashes. Did it, did it, did it, did it. Uh-huh. So if you're ever trapped in a mine, God forbid, you know, where you're someplace you have to tap on a message, tap out, three short, three long, three short, SOS. Mm. Good to know. The things you learn on this show, <laughs> you know. Because I do have that trivial brain. Okay, well, let's play with more stuff. This is fascinating. So you can see how Wilson has been abused. He set the stage for all, all presidents to abuse 
uh, the press corps ever since because they would just they become stenographers. They become secretaries. They write the stuff down. They don't challenge it. Now, the media used to be really good. You ever seen Mr. Smith goes to Washington? You must have. Have I ever what? Watch the film Mr. Smith goes to Washington. Okay, you need to see that before our next show. <laughs> if I can give you homework, you have to watch Get your family together and watch Mr. Smith goes to Washington. It's one of the greatest films ever made. It's Jimmy Stewart who goes as a... Um, a very naive, you know, young senator uh, who was appointed, and he wants to build a Boy Scout camp, and it, it just reveals all the corruption of Washington. But the press corps is fascinating. Press corps is actually a press corps. They ask questions, and they're ruthless, like they're supposed to be, and they're all in competition. Like it used to be in cities, you'd have three, four major newspapers. You'd have a morning, an afternoon, and an evening edition of, of sometimes one paper or several. Some cities would have a morning paper, a midday paper, and, a, and an evening paper. And they all had different news, and they're all competing with each other for the stories. That was when media was good. You know, remember the old reporters and the trench coats, and the, you know, they'd, they'd meet under the lamppost, and their sources, and it was all secret, and they'd meet in cafes and back rooms, and they did real journalism. <laughs> anyway, now they just sit there and listen to you know Jean-Pierre Rampal, the idiot. Uh, relay lies, and they, they copy them down and send them out again. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So. There's actually something else about, like, um, mm-hmm. you know, the control and the censorship. It was, like, during the Spanish flu. I don't know if I've talked about this before. Nope. But, when was the Spanish flu? Um, uh, I think it started mm-hmm. in, like, 19... Like, 18 or 19? I think it was 17 or 18, yeah. It was like during that. World War One. Yeah, yeah. Spanish flu, they say, killed yeah. more soldiers than, than some of the battles. But, yeah. So tell me about Spanish flu. Yeah. Um, so besides it being horrendous and, and killing a lot of people, mm-hmm. um, the government didn't want anybody to know that. Like, um, they wanted to act like it wasn't a big deal, that it wasn't really, you know, uh, uh, huge epidemic, you know, it wasn't a problem. Nobody needed to worry about it. Um, hmm. You know, keep sending out the soldiers and stuff. And what they would do is they would censor anybody who said that, you know, it was dangerous um, or that it's killing people or that it's harmful or criticize the government for not doing anything. And basically what they would do is, you know, you'd get up to like a 10 or 15 year prison sentence for, you know, criticizing the government or anything. Really? And what they did this for is because the government said, well, it's like um, shouting fire in an open theater is what they were saying, even though it's not because, you know, it is truly killing people and everything. They, they used that as a way mm-hmm. to censor their speech and to stop them from spreading around that it's, you know, horrible and killing people, even though it's kind of obvious or you'd think it'd be kind of obvious. I mean, today you'd think it'd be kind of obvious too about what happens but you know we say that about the Nazis too and so I mean there's a lot of times in history and you know mm-hmm. the current times where you think it's obvious but for some reason you know people don't see it so I don't really it's know about people's hindsight. reaction of it but it's, it's obvious in hindsight it's not obvious at the time and that's the biggest problem because all you can react to is what's happening in your time you can't you know what's already happened has already happened and what is about to happen you don't know yet so the only thing you have any control over is yeah. your time, which is why you have to be so proactive in your time. And people sometimes have to go against the grain, uh, go against the public and be unpopular and say things that are unpopular and let it be proven right. But what they used to do to heretics, 
you know, or people that spoke against uh, things like uh, uh, was it Galileo that, that said that uh, the Earth revolves around the sun? Um, it sounds right, but I don't know. Well, we can look it up. You know, like I say, <laughs> none of us have, have perfect memories here. But the point was, uh, he was excommunicated, if I remember. I mean, the church completely condemned him. So don't don't listen to him. That's not true. The sun revolves around the earth. You, we see it rising every day. How can it not revolve around the earth? That was the observation, but the observation was wrong. That's like the flat earthers. Yeah. You know, the flat earth, the flat earth society, you know, my favorite people. Now we call them Democrats. Kidding. Um, but you can, you can pl- prove the earth is round very simply. And one of the ways they did it was they had a ship sail out from port. And they had three camps. One at, on the dock. One uh, about halfway up this mountain, 2,000 feet. And another one up like 4,000 feet. And what they did is they fired the cannon when the ship disappeared. Well, they fired the first cannon when the ship was about, I don't know, 10 miles out. You know, 20 or 30 miles out, the second cannon fired. And like 40 or 50 miles out, the third cannon fired. Well, the only way that the, the top cannon could see, could lose, could see it longer uh, than the bottom cannon is because of line of sight. And the only way that could happen is the earth would be around. If, uh, if the earth was flat, they all would have fired their cannons at the same time because it would have fallen off or would have disappeared at the same time if the earth was flat. But because the Earth wasn't flat, then the, the, the lower they were, the closer they were to the horizon, the sooner the ship would disappear. That's, how they, that's one of the ways they proved the Earth was round with three cannons. I don't know where that comes from. I don't know where that's popped out of my brain. Anyway, <clears throat> back to primaries. <laughs> now, this is um, – okay, so, so this is interesting. So the Spanish flu, they got criticized for saying that it was much more severe than the government was actually telling them. Now, let's contrast that with COVID. The opposite. Yeah. Go ahead. Tell me what you think. I think it's the same kind of tactics, you know. Okay. Fear. um, Yeah, the censoring of speech. But now instead of saying, oh, no, it's not harmful at all, they're saying um, this is extremely harmful and going to kill everybody. And if you don't do exactly what we say, uh, you're going to kill people and you're going to die and you're horrible. So it's kind of like the same thing, just what to meet the needs that they want met. While in what it time, it was, you know, to have control and to keep the soldiers going out. And who knows? Um, <laughs> I haven't really dug deep. Farther than that. No, but, but isn't that an interesting study? Uh, and I didn't think of it until you said it, because once you once you told me that in Spanish flu, the government was was censoring people and throwing them in jail for saying this is actually very serious. And in COVID, it's just the opposite. Those who said this isn't that big a deal, it's ninety nine point nine percent survivable with maybe moderate symptoms. Uh, it's a flu bug, basically, and now it's a bio. It's a, basically an, an engineered you know, bioweapon from a flu bug, from a coronavirus. Uh, it's curable and treatable with uh, the, the usual things, you know, ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, et cetera. We all know the story. Um, but if you said that, you, you get censored like I was, you know, way back March 2nd. Yeah, and I have two questions. Show. Sure. Um, the first one is what I was, I was leading, or the second one is what I was leading up to. The first one is, is the lab in Wuhan, I, I've heard this, but I don't know if it's true because I haven't really looked it up yet, but is the lab in Wuhan literally called the Wuhan Coronavirus Lab? No, it's the Wuhan Institute of Virology, the, the WIV. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I was right. like, I don't know if that's true or not, but if it is, I mean, 
<laughs> well, no, yeah. but one thing you want to look up, if you want to have some fun, look up the Purbright Institute. The Purbright Institute is in England, funded by the, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and they actually patent coronaviruses. Ooh. How do you... Ah, you can't patent a life form, can you? <laughs> but, you but if you create it, huh... Look at Purbright, P-I-R-B-R-I-G-H-T. Yeah, because one of the things that they were talking about, like with the medical industry, is that, mm-hmm. you know, the medicines you get and stuff are normally not going to be, you know, natural and stuff because you can't patent natural things. It has to be right. like artificial or synthetic, and that's the only way that they make money. So if it's required that you have to patent something artificial, it makes perfect sense that the coronavirus bioweapon, and I actually call it a bioweapon back in, uh, I'll send you the bill. I wrote a bill in February. We had Bill Gertz, who's a, from uh, our friend Dr. Peter Pry, who passed away in August, uh, one of my very dear friends on the show. Peter Pry got us some amazing people on the show. One of them was Bill Gertz. Bill Gertz is the foreign correspondent, Washington Times International reporter. Brilliant man. Unfortunately, he had a cold or probably had COVID at the time. We just didn't know it yet. But February 25th, he's on the show for half an hour. And he talked about the Wuhan lab. This is, this is 2020, so we knew all about Wuhan. We had a first-person source telling us all about it. Two days later, I wrote a bill saying that Congress could only put half the money for COVID into vaccines. The other half had to go into early treatments because early treatments worked. I already knew that in February. March 2nd, you know, I've already got the DDR road study from Marseille, France, announcing that uh, chloroquine and later hydroxychloroquine um, stopped COVID. So there is no pandemic. Well, guess what happened to me? <laughs> you know, I got completely censored really quickly because once they, once they heard you know, my show, and, and China has always listened to my show, so I'm sure it went from China directly to uh, you know, the deep state, and uh, I've been censored ever since. But that's, that's how it went. And so by March 2nd of 2020, this is two weeks before the 15 days to slow the spread, we're already condemning this as a hoax. Not the virus, but the, uh, but the response, the government response. So my question to you is, knowing what you know now, um, which came first? Here's a big question. The virus or the vaccine? Which one was engineered first? Personally, um, I think it was I think it was the vaccine. Um, uh-huh. It could have been either one because, you know, the vaccine is pretty bad. But mm-hmm. I think it was probably the vaccine since that's what they're wanting to get money off of. So they have have to, and then they create the virus to make money off of the product. So they can't make money off hydroxychloroquine. It's cheap and available, and you can cure COVID for a buck. (laughs) You know, was it five twenty cent tablets or something like that? It's ridiculous. I don't know if that's the actual, but it's really cheap. Ivermectin, probably about the same price range. Really cheap. Well, you can't make money off your bioweapon to get return on your investment if everybody has a cure for it. That's dirt cheap. So you make the cure illegal, and you make the illegal vaccine, which isn't a vaccine, uh, legal. And that's how they did it. But they had to patent it first, uh, and they had to make it artificial. They had to create it in a lab so that it could be patented, so they could patent their, their, their vaccine, which isn't a vaccine, patent that, and make money at both ends. And the tests that they use for it cannot be made in America because the way that they make it with the chemicals they use is illegal in America. Well, isn't that convenient? <laughs> <laughs> See, you can't test for it, so you have to use the P- is it, you talking about the PCR test, or is it a different test? PCR test doesn't work. The swabs thing. Yeah, that don't, those don't work. No, 
And then you heard that when they cycle them 40 times, they magnify it 40 times its original strength so that you could find uh, COVID on, on a watermelon. Yeah. You, could find, you could find COVID on a ham sandwich. You can find COVID, you know, COVID on your on the, your car door handle. <laughs> COVID is everywhere. When you magnify that, I mean, there's COVID everywhere. We've all been exposed to it. We've all got COVID in our systems, but we're all immune to it. Those of us that have had it and have gotten over it. Pianki's on the line. I'll get him too because Josie's going to join us in a second too. But isn't this fascinating? Um, how how this works? That the, in order to create all this stuff, uh, and it's it's a completely opposite response to the Spanish flu. I just find that fascinating. Now let's get. Um, let, yeah, I want to deal the, with the fire in the crowd. Go the ahead. Second. Uh huh. Yeah, the second question I have about what I was talking about the Spanish flu is, do you think that the law about, you know, shining fire in a, I don't even know what the actual law says, but um, Mm -hmm. what is it? um, uh, Well, I don't know what it is. This is a great point. But it's where you're basically shining fire in a crowded room. Um, what that comes from is the Supreme Court case. I don't remember one. I got both Pianchi and Josie, and I'll get you guys in just a second. I want to. I want to get. In fact, I'm, I'm sure they can have an opinion on this too. This is critical. So somewhere along the way, one of the Supreme Court judges, and I don't say justice because in Article Three it says Supreme Court judges. They're not justices. They are judges. If you read the Constitution, I'm not accusing you. I'm just saying. But if people actually read the Constitution, as I, I didn't even know it, I found that out like like three or four months ago. That's how bad I am. But at least found it. Anyway, and they're also there for terms of good behavior, not for lifetime appointments. So somewhere along the way, some judge said, of course, there are restrictions on free speech. The, the First Amendment is not absolute, which, which is total BS. Of course, the First Amendment is absolute. The right is absolute. But using the right and speaking is not absolute. It's like uh, the Second Amendment. The right to keep and bear arms is absolute. The government cannot touch the right. The right itself, your ability to own and carry firearms, they cannot touch that. Now, the use of firearms is under statutory law. Statutory law means that there are legal and illegal uses of a firearm. Because there are legal and illegal uses of a firearm, the the use of firearms can never be a right. But statutory law is subordinate to the Constitution, which is the supreme law of the land. So the government cannot touch your ability to keep and bear arms because if you need to exercise a right that is legal, like self-defense, you have to have your arms instantly available. And that is why you cannot restrict keeping and bearing uh, arms, even though the government does all the time. And people say, well, well, wait a minute, you can, you know, buy a machine gun and mow down a whole bunch of people. That's, that's a use of a firearm. It's a criminal use, and it's murder. That's already covered by law. It's nothing to do with the Second Amendment. So let's bring it to the First Amendment. So the First Amendment, these judges, in their, in their idiocy or control or both, said, one of them said, well, of course the First Amendment's limited because you can't yell fire in a crowded theater. Of course, my response is, well, what if there's a fire? Why can't you yell fire in a crowded theater? Now, should you yell yeah, fire in a crowded theater? Yeah, that was my theater? question. Is- okay, go ahead. Is that, like, censorship of free speech, like, should that yeah. law be in place? And there's some law. things of it that, you know, say, it's not a law. yeah, because you don't want, what? It's not a law. There's no law that says you can't yell fire in a crowded theater. There's liability if you do. So let's talk about responsibility versus law. So there's something called liability. Liability works. Okay. If you do something really stupid, you're responsible for it. If you are so irresponsible that you yell fire in a crowded theater, as they say, and everybody panics and a bunch of people get injured or, you know, God forbid, killed, uh, you, you, you yell fire. You're responsible for that. Now, let's say there actually is a fire in a crowded theater and you yell fire and there are the exits and you start pointing at the exits. Now, now you're a hero. Yell the same thing, two different sets of circumstances. So the ability to yell fire in a crowded theater is absolutely protected under free speech. The ability to yell, the right to yell fire is protected. 
However, if you do, depending on the circumstances, you could be liable or you could be lauded as a hero. That's the difference, the right versus the use, the actual implementation of it. So that's why rights are absolute and the uses are governed by statutory law, libel laws, things like that. Does that make sense? Yeah, because I was looking at it and I just assumed that it was, you know, just a general law because, you know, (laughs) they said that they could give them a prison sentence up to 10 to 15 years for, you know, speaking Mm, on it. I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, Unless you can point out, I mean, look it up. See if you can find the law that says you can't yell fire in a crowded theater. Let's get Pianca in this, then I'll get Josie. We'll do her report. This has been fun. (laughs) I really enjoyed our chat today, as I pretty much always do. Uh, Pianca, can you yell fire in a crowded theater? Yeah, if you see it. You know, the sad thing about it, when you you yell fire in in a crowded theater, one might pull out their gun and pull the trigger. Hmm. Can you yell fire in an empty theater? Yeah. Okay. If you somebody's there to to, to uh, do the yelling. Okay. But uh, you know your <laughs> guests need to study what went on in Dearborn, Michigan, at a school board meeting, where the woke parents got ran off the stage uh, with their rhetoric. Rhetoric, and uh, you know Dearborn is a Muslim community, and they complaining about the sexual explicit material that is being presented to the kids. And make it available in a library. So it's very yeah, interesting. Yeah, don't mention exactly what it is. I don't want to. I don't want. I don't go into details on this. Um, but um, just because. Um, so let's. So you can talk about it generally, but I don't want to go into the specifics of what they mentioned. Um, so yeah, then I, actually I want to hold that up. Let's let's get a quick reaction from Brianna. Then I want to get to Josie. Well, I'm just saying what, that would be a good thing to study how parents oh, yeah. today are starting to fight back. Yeah, we can talk about it next week. Um, All right, I got to go. Okay, I'll talk to you later. Um, Brianna, can you yell fire in an empty theater? Um, yes, I would think so. I mean, <laughs> see the difference? I don't see, think. See, uh huh. I think you see, can say like whatever you want, but you know, sometimes there are consequences. Like if you tell somebody that you're going to kill them, like in all seriousness and stuff, you know, mm-hmm. that is actually you know, a crime and it can be held against you and stuff, especially if something does happen. Um. <laughs> exactly. So the context is everything. The rights are absolute, but the context by which they are exercised is everything. All right, let's get to Josie. She started off as a poor child in Nicaragua, living under communism. And now she is a prosperous small businesswoman with a great family, living the dream as an American citizen. Josie Cossey knows all about both worlds, communism and freedom. She knows where your dreams can come alive and where they can die very quickly. And so her report is as much from experience as knowledge, and her passion and crusade are very real. With connections all over Central and South America, Josie brings you the world south of the U.S. border from personal experience, living, not just reporting, what's happening. And now, the Latina Report with Josie Cossey. So how do I say fire in Spanish? So if I want to yell fire in a crowded theater, nobody Fuego. Fuego? Fuego. 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 Aquí. Exit. Aquí, aquí, fuego. Fuego. Okay, got Good morning. Buenos días. Konnichiwa, Josie-san. Guten Tag. Yes. We're on. Yeah, we are. Ni hao. 
That's Chinese. Good, uh, good report, you guys. I've been listening. Uh, oh, good. I guess 7.20. I got up a yeah. little late this morning. Got a question for Brianna or a comment? Feel free. Uh, I don't have a question, but uh, I have a comment on uh, the vaccine, Spanish flu. Uh, I heard somebody talking about the Bill Gates' father was the center of the Spanish flu. The, he's the one involved killing so many. And now the son is involved in the vaccines now. So it runs in the blood, evil, wicked people, if it's true, of course. I don't have well, uh, evidence of what so I is heard that somebody Bill, reporting. Is that Bill Gates Sr. or does, who, who is Gates, Mr. Gates? Bill Gates' father, yeah. Mm-hmm. But what's his, what's his first name? I forgot. But he was okay. the head honcho. He was the head honcho on the Spanish flu, and he was very involved in the uh, uh, Planned Parenthood abortions, uh, Bill Gates' dad, well, that's for many years. Um, mm-hmm. Brianna, there's a good topic if you want to look that up for next week, Spanish flu, Bill Gates' dad. Uh, Planned Parenthood, of course, the, the, the head of Planned Parenthood was Margaret Sanger. She used to call it the Negro mm-hmm. Project, you know, because the whole yes. point of Planned Parenthood was to, to exterminate our, our, you know, uh, the black American population. Population. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, pretty scary. Okay, so what's uh, yeah. what's the latest on, on on Ukraine disasters, wars, fighter jets? <laughs> what what kind of you know billions uh, and billions of dollars going to this, this endless it's bottomless pit? It's almost over over there. Um, okay. Zelensky Zelensky wants for Americans to send their soldiers over there so they can die and fight for Ukraine. Yeah, right. He's demanding. You know that this this guy got nerve. This strip head, no good. Uh, uh, I don't sugarcoat it. Uh, <laughs> Tell me what you really think. Yeah. But, yeah, that's what I think. And that's what, who he is. Uh, yeah. But uh, he's, uh, he's telling that we need Americans to go fight over there and defend Ukraine so we can shed black Americans for their country. Yeah, right. I well, says Brianna. We, we've got a we got a young person on the show here, uh, Brianna. Are your friends talking about this, uh, especially the guys? Because it's still selective service is still for guys to be drafted. Is anybody worried, concerned, or, or thinking about being drafted to go fight in Ukraine? No, not in my experience. Um, I don't think we should, but yeah, no, it hasn't really come up. But I do have to go now. Um, okay. But it's been a great discussion for today. Hi, yeah, Josie. Thank you very much. Um, hi, hi, Brianna. Hola, hola, Brianna. <laughs> God hola. bless. We'll get you some Spanish while you Thanks, Brianna. So plenty Bye-bye. more for next week. Thank Ciao. you for all the information. I do appreciate it. It was interesting. Yeah. You're a good girl. Yeah. Share That's just the wonderful. Share with your friends. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll remind yeah, you what, that. Well, I wonder what their friends uh-huh. think about her, you know, because she's a pretty smart girl, you know. Well, that's the thing. The show, so. That's why she's on the show. You know, you don't get on my show just yeah. by just because you're young or just because of whatever. You get on your show because yeah. you're really interesting, you know, and you got something to say. Yeah. Um, and she's really interesting. So, you know, I hope she stays with us for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it was fascinating. We were talking. We, look at the things we covered today: Marconi, Mar- Morse code, Woodrow Wilson, the the Lusitania. Mm-hmm. You know, we covered uh, the, where the press conference came good. from, primaries. I mean, we covered a lot in that hour. It was really you know, uh, <clears throat> televisions came along before the late 40s, so we had one in the early 50s. What was that? So, television. Yeah, television, I think it was mm-hmm. 1947. It was a guy named Farnsworth who invented it. 
cool the house down that way. Well, you know, the South, what really built the South was air conditioning. Because before air conditioning, this is why all the cities were along the coastline or in the rivers. You know, New Orleans was on the Gulf Coast because it was too hot. You go inland, it was blistering hot in the summertime in the South. So air conditioning. So when did air conditioning come to cars? Uh, probably came to hotels, I think in maybe the 50s. We got air conditioning in cars. When, did, when was air conditioning widespread? Yeah, they had them in the uh, 50s. They used to have, I forget what they used to call them. It wasn't factory. It was. Uh, well, who's the who's the guy that invented it? it? The guy that invented it is, is like one of the names you see all over air conditioners. I forget what his name was. Um, Challenger champion, something, whatever it was. I'll think of it. I see a Honda. Right, carrier. I don't know. Carrier. That's carrier. it. Carrier was the guy's name. Carrier invented the air conditioner. A man with stoves. But without mm-hmm. Mr. Carrier, you know, we we wouldn't. Air conditioning made made uh, all kinds of things possible. You know, in fact, the, the chocolate factories used to be in San Francisco because it's the only place you could make uh, chocolate year-round because in the summertime, the temperature was still 60 degrees because of the fog rolling mm. in. So the only time they couldn't make chocolate was uh, three weeks in the spring and three weeks in the fall when temperature got to, like the rest of California, you know, like 90, 100 degrees. But in the winter, it was cool enough, and in the summer, it was cool enough. So, you, so this is why Ghirardelli and about six other companies located in San Francisco was so they could make chocolate. But, you know, but once they got air conditioning, you can make it anywhere. Hershey, Pennsylvania, for example. The chocolate capital was in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. Why there, I wonder? They must have good dairy cows or something. Lots of sugar. And and you know, Greg, uh, Uh if you travel to many Spanish countries, most people in their homes do not have air conditioning. The only places that you will find air conditioning is at a bank, at a supermarket, Mm -hmm. uh, big offices like that, the courthouse, just places like that. But most people, they don't even know what air conditioning is in their home. Uh, and in, when I go to Cuba, nothing, no one has air conditioning, just a bank. And sometimes they, you just, they just have fans. Uh, so, so how close are, are yeah. most people to the coastline? Because most of Cuba, I think, is on the coast. Havana is on the coastline. So does that help mm-hmm. in the summertime to be closer to the water? Well, a lot of people go to the beach, you know, to refresh. But they get used to because I see a lot of people. I'm sweating bullets, and I <laughs> see people on a long sleeve. I'm like, oh, my gosh, you got to be kidding me. Because well, it might be when cooler you come out of the shower. The yeah. You know why they have in the bed, don't you? Shower, Hold on, Pianchi. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Josie. When you come out of the shower in Cuba, you still are dripping sweat like you won't believe I, I just couldn't believe it. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead, Pianchi. Huh. Pianchi? The reason they have it in the bank is because when you find out your money has been stolen, you need cool air to revive you. <laughs> well, I, I think the bills <laughs> I was thinking the bills wouldn't stick together so they could actually count it properly. Uh, but that's oh, interesting. you're funny. Yeah. Anyway, so, okay. Let me so what do they do in houses then? What, uh, oh, I just, I just have one more question. So they don't have air conditioning. Do they okay. have high ceilings? Is that where siesta came from? So it's the heat of the day. You don't want to do anything anyway, so you just kind of lay down and sleep for a couple hours until it cools down and you can start doing work again? Or, or... I think uh, I think most most Spanish people, like if you're in the poor neighborhood, like my where I grew up, you're outside in the patio, outside, you know, under a tree, and you got your chairs, you got everything, and... And you are hardly not inside the house during the day, barely. Most of the time you're outside. 
so cooling off because it's very hot. Now you sleep with very thin sheets, and that's about it. Because winter for us in Nicaragua, it was rainy, 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 more rain. That was unless you go towards the mountains, uh, it's a little cool. But our weather is 80s, 90s degrees all the time. So it's very, very hot. But we get used to it. You get used to your body adjust, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's what happened yeah. to many countries. Okay. So. Yeah. So what you got? What's, on, what's in the report today? Um, I was looking at uh, Fox, which... I don't hardly see Fox, but not the channel because I don't. I shut all my cable TV and everything. I do this, this streaming now, you know. So I don't mm-hmm. pay for cable TV in my store or here at all. I'm saving like under eighty dollars in both places, and that was cheap because most people pay about a hundred and forty and something. I said, no way, not me. But anyway, I cut everything off now. Uh, but I was uh, looking in, in my Facebook. I don't know if it was Facebook. No, it was Twitter, actually. They had the thing about uh, Tucker reporting on January the 6th. Oh, yeah. And, we covered uh, that a little earlier. Yeah. Tell me about Did you see it? I've got it posted on my Facebook page, the whole episode from last I, night. I, I, I got up. Unbelievable. It, like I said. But, mm-hmm. yeah. But uh, I remember when this whole thing came about. Uh, the Democrats were screaming out loud, saying the the Democrats were saying deadly insurrection, and then all the media, all the TV channel, everybody just run with a deadly insurrection. They want to make sure people got it in their mind, the deadly mm-hmm. part and all that. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, Tucker was showing Brian Sick Sicknick, uh, yep. the officer that was supposed to be kill and all that and they show video uh he's walking after he so called was supposed to be dead so it was yeah, like an hour later yeah. <laughs> he's, the, he's supposed to be killed with a fire later, extinguisher yeah. and, and here he's walking around the capitol yeah. you know waving his arms going come this way yeah uh-huh so much for that lie so he's waving on people to come this way like you just said yeah uh-huh. and i saw it with my own eyes a lot of the police were waving and lowering the barricade so we can come through Closer to, I came closer to the steps in the back, not the front, because uh, it was you couldn't hardly get through the front. Uh, but this is um, this is uh, big. Uh, these people are suing Fox News right now, one point billion million or whatever they're Who is? suing. Who's because, suing Fox News? Uh, yeah, they're suing. I don't know who's suing who. The Democrats. But uh, the deep state. Yeah. Who's who's doing it? I I'm being curious. There's they're suing. I have to find out actually. Okay. Uh, gosh, I forgot who's suing. But anyway, well, I can, I can they're follow. suing the TV station uh, because uh, they're using Tucker to expose them. And these people are desperate. And even though you don't believe me, but all this trail, uh, trains, derail, explosions in Kissimmee, and there's going to be a lot more. Uh, all this is a big distraction, and at the same time, they want to kill innocent people, especially in Ohio because there were Trump supporters in that area. Uh, a lot more is happening, and this is happening worldwide. Uh, more and more every day right now, uh, more explosions, more fire. Uh, Cuba, uh, there's a lot of farms being burned right now in Cuba. I got a message from one of the girls uh, 
and then huge trucks that explode with uh, carrying gas, uh, burning out of control. So this is this is worldwide that is happening. They're all involved. Uh, a lot of countries, not all the countries, but many countries are involved in this agenda with the Democrats. Uh, and it's all well organized. The January 6th, everything, all this game that they're playing is all well organized by Black Lives Matter, Antifa, FBI, CIA, the D.C. mayor uh, was involved in the D.C. with Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, uh, and the head honcho of all is Obama, of course. He's a well organized, so he's famous for that. And all the media involved because they got paid so much money, all of them, millions of dollars uh, they got. So this whole corruption will come to an end soon, and they know it. They're desperate. They're panicking. And uh, all I can say is I've been praying and praying. I can hardly wait to sit down with my popcorn and watch the show. Uh, <laughs> I think we're seeing the show now. I think we're seeing the show now. Oh, and no. I, I was coming to Brianna about that. That uh, So we need new dragons to slay. We need, we need to get in front of the next big crisis because it's like they're doing all our work for us. We've been saying the stuff that Tucker Carlson said. We've been saying that for, for over two years. We've been saying it since January 7th, yeah. you know, of, 20, yeah. of 2021. You know, so we know all this stuff. But um, in answer to your yeah. question about who's suing Tucker, I, I was quickly looked up an article while while I was listening to you at the same time. Uh, this is from MSNBC. Mm-hmm. So we've got a really good liberal source here. The decision to give Tucker Carlson exclusive January 6th footage is not aging well. In other words, it's really good stuff. Says Kevin McCarthy's uh-huh. recent actions are looking more irresponsible and destructive by the day. In other words, the truth is really dangerous to people. This is why it gets so funny. It says, in February, we learned that the House Speaker, Kevin McCarthy, who I call Kevin McDeepstate, made a very troubling decision to release U.S. Capitol surveillance footage. In other words, the truth about their lies, um, about the January 6th uh, Capitol Hill invitational walk-in uh, exclusively to Tucker Carlson. Mm-hmm. They don't say invitational walk-in. I do. Anyway, yeah. um, McCarthy said he was doing it because the tapes belong to the people, of course, which is true. Then it says that incomprehensibility is only reinforced by the parallel drama taking place in court. So this is where it gets, this is, I didn't know, so I'm glad you told me about this. This is where evidence in the, def- yeah. in the defamation lawsuit brought by Dominion Voting Systems against Fox, oh, okay. scheduled for an April trial, is proving truly shocking news. Okay, this is, the liberals tell you this stuff. It says, in a deposition taken earlier in the Dominion case that was released Monday, Fox Corp Chair Rupert Murdoch testified that some of our commentators were endorsing former President Donald Trump's, he said, big lie that the election was stolen from him. Well, the truth is, as we all know, the election was stolen from him. <laughs> okay, we're saying that same thing. Oh, yeah. Then he says, oh, yeah. I, would have, I would have liked us to be stronger in denouncing it in hindsight. This is Rupert Murdoch. This is the guy who's like so biased, he doesn't know the election was stolen moron or he doesn't care Mm -hmm. anyway he says now one of these same commentators courtesy of the speaker of the house has been handed the opportunity to rewrite our history and do further damage to our country in other words he's been given the chance to correct our history and help the country i mean everything this guy says is is backwards but it's fascinating that dominion voting machines okay so here's my question for you they're Uh so upset with this that they have a lawsuit by dominion voting machines which uh, helped steal the election for the democrats with the acquiescence of the republicans is it much of a stretch if if tucker carlson if people start believing him which i hope they do because we do because we we've been saying it for years that the election was stolen that uh, that january 6th was a farce if people believe that jan that people believe that everything about january 6th is a lie it's not much of a stretch for people to leave that everything they heard about the election of 2020 is also a lie. This of is what course. I think they're worried about. So tell yeah. me. They're panic. They're panicking, Greg. And uh, 
it's all coming to an end. And if you notice uh, Trump in his CPAC speech, uh, he guarantees that, that he's going to gather all the illegal and this is going to be huge. Mm-hmm. I don't know how he's going to do it, but he knows because he's controlling space for he knows exactly everything. Uh, that's what we were told by some CIA friends. So this is going to be big. And the sad part is a lot of these people, they're selling everything, Greg, in Chile, in uh, Peru, Argentina, all over the world. They're selling their homes, everything, and they're fleeing this way. Because right now, you go to the U.S. Embassy in any country, mm-hmm. and they're not giving you visas unless you travel every three months, every six months here. Uh, like some of my rich friends, they don't want to live here. You know, they just travel back and forth, you know. <laughs> oh, boy. And, and Must you be nice. have a lot of money in the bank account and all that. Uh-huh. But if you don't barely have anything, right now the embassies are rejecting to give you a visa. And what huh. they're telling you is that you have to fill the paperwork and a family member of the United States can uh, help you. And as long as they say that they will be responsible for you, you will get a visa, and you can come for two years to America. That's the new thing right now. Can you believe that? Well, I can believe anything because they want to repopulate this country. They want Americans to have abortions, to die of fentanyl, um, to take the vaccine and drop dead. And they want uh, illegal aliens to get uh, wealthy hotels, free health care, free education. Uh, they don't have to work. They'll be subsidized their whole lives as long as they vote Democrat. I and mean, that's exactly what I believe. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm with so you on that. I, have, I'm, I'm, I, I don't. Some last, of the things I question, but I don't okay. question. I question that Trump is working with the Space Force and is coordinating all this. But I think he, he does know everything. I, I believe he does know exactly what's going on. And that speech at CPAC, which I've also got on Facebook in several places, uh, is amazing. That was an incredible speech. Mm. Yeah. It was. Yeah. You just have to carefully pay attention to a few things that he said, but a lot of people mm-hmm. don't know. Um, also, we are going to give back the country to America. But who stole the country? I know it's only an election stolen, but nobody has stole our country. Nobody no, it's still our country, but, but people means, have to resist. He means something else. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, people, people have to resist, and people don't resist. I resist every day. I never say Biden administration. I never say President Biden. I resist. If everybody did that simple mm-hmm. thing, if someone said President Biden and you laugh at them, he's not the president. Ridicule him. Exactly. There's no way he could yeah. be president. There's no way that even on his best days, at his healthiest, at his most mentally acute that Joe Biden could yeah. beat Tom, Donald Trump in a fair election. That's just impossible to believe. And because it's impossible to believe, you know, it's, it's, it's impossible to believe that when he's, you know, a, a decrepit, corrupt old guy, you know, who can't, who doesn't have no clue where he is, uh, he could beat Donald Trump at his best. You know, Brandon's worst could not possibly beat Donald Trump at his best in a fair election. That is impossible yeah. to believe uh, unless, you just, unless you're a propagandist, you know. But let me, tell, let me ask you yeah. about your CIA friends, because the CIA, as we're learning, is, and I haven't done the, I could do the research on this, but the CIA and the Department of Defense are heavily involved in the creation of the coronavirus, uh, the corona vaccine, uh, or most likely both. So how many CIA branches are we talking about here? So what's the branch that you know well, compared to the, the, the not, branch that's uh, trying to kill us? This is like top secret, bodyguards, oh, Ben Carson, good people, good people. Okay. Not all the CIA is corrupt. Not all the FBI is corrupt. 
there's a lot of uh, CIA, FBI whistleblowers. They've been coming forward and all that, and there's so many that they're afraid uh, of their life because uh, the CIA, FBI, they've been a bunch of murders, uh, the the criminal ones I'm talking about, uh, mm-hmm. for years and years and years. So uh, the one that I get some of the information on, <clears throat> He was uh, kind of like bodyguard for Ben Carson at that time when he was running. He's locally here. But anyway. Okay. Um, <laughs> you know, I want to talk to yeah. him off the air. So, you know that, don't you? I want to meet off the no, air. Yeah. No? Yeah, exactly. Oh, come on. No. Please. Please. No, he, they don't want to meet. Okay. I know. We meet in church. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll wear sunglasses. I'll look, uh, I'll look talk, incognito. I, I, won't, talk, I won't talk loud. You won't know it's me. We don't talk about anything on the phone or email. <laughs> uh, let's, 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 let's meet in a lamppost. I'll even bring a cigarette and look like a, <laughs> a trench coat. I'll bring one of those those fedora hats. I've got one, too. I've got, I've got my Indy Jones hat. I can, I can look the part. But, okay, let me finish with the... Sorry. <laughs> so the illegals, the illegals are, are are not wasting a lot of money coming through Mexico right now, but they're coming through our airport with visas, and and people are uh, being paid to say, hey, can you go ahead and claim me and fill the paperwork, and you're gonna be responsible. They don't care what they do once they're here. You know what I mean? They could care less. In the last week, I have met. So many people come into my store. Like I had a uh, a lady from Argentina, Argentina in English, of course, Argentina, and coming with her daughter, a college girl. She's still going to college, and uh, and her husband got hired to work at the airport here in Pensacola uh, mm-hmm. from Argentina with her uh, little girl. So she's here living with her husband and her tiny girl, and the other one just came to visit from Chile, and she's planning to move here too. And they're trying to sell everything. And it's uh, it's sad because Donald Trump will deport everybody that is illegal here. And I hope some of the Spanish country are listening. Please don't sell your home. Please don't sell everything. If you're listening from Venezuela, uh, Cuba, Colombia, Costa Rica, any other countries, don't sell everything because you're going to go back home. And that's a guarantee that Donald Trump is making. And so he will. And I what's the he plan? How's he, how's he going to do it? Because Peter Navarro mentioned something about Greg. that too. And I'm going to try and get Peter back on the I show know, because it's, it's, it's in his book. Okay, I've got a plan for doing that, but I'm, I'm wondering what his plan is. So what are the he options? has his own already. Okay, yeah. well, so let's 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 he discuss this. This is critical. So if you need to, if, if we have about thirty to fifty million illegal aliens in our country, how do we send them home? What's the best way to do it? I I don't think he's going to send home the the ones that they've been here for thirty years. But mm-hmm. I believe, and this is my opinion, of course. I haven't read anything about it. Uh, nobody has told me anything about it. But I believe that that he's going to send all the ones within the couple of years since the fraud, criminal, uh, 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 communist uh, leaders in our office right now uh, has corrupt our voters, inviting everything to come right through and letting them loose. And a lot of them are terrorists, MS-13. There's mm-hmm. closer to 5,000 now in Pensacola, MS-13 here which is very dangerous for a small town to have that many. 
so I think he's going to round them off, and he will send them back, and I know he will, and I can hardly wait. <clears throat> so okay, I know you. I know you said how he's going to do it. A lot of these people are dependent on the government. A lot of them are getting like four thousand dollars a month for each family. Okay, a lot mm-hmm. of them are in the school system. They're getting free lunch. The kids are getting free college. So he's going to know. He's he. Look, if he's tracking Antifa and Black Lives Matter with Space Force, <laughs> I mean, he knew when they were coming to Mar Largo. He knew step by step. He knew, he knew it all, okay? So uh, they're not going to get what they're after with Donald Trump, the the Democrats, because uh, he has evidence from Nancy Pelosi's, uh, I, I was told, uh, from his uh, their laptop, her laptop, and Donald Trump has them. But, of course, he's not stupid. He's not going to have him at home, you know? <laughs> he's no, a smart and I, I, I would not be surprised if Donald Trump has loyal Trump people in government, <clears throat> not enough, um, but there's enough people that are there in key positions that they're giving him information. And so, or they're really oh, yeah. relaying it to other people that are telling Trump exactly what's going on in a lot of these departments. Mm-hmm. So you don't need the space force for mm-hmm. this. You just need good intelligence. You just need loyal people. And so I believe those folks are out mm-hmm. there. And I think a lot of them are going to end up in, uh, yeah. uh, in cabinet positions. Like for example, um, some of you see on, on uh, Fox news, who's been on our show a couple of times, Colonel Doug McGregor, for mm-hmm. example. Uh, is very possibly, uh-huh. I, I, I could see him as Secretary of Defense, for example. Or oh, wouldn't that shake things up? Um, Michael Flynn, General Michael Flynn would be a great Attorney General and let him go after all the folks that tried to persecute him and have him I get rid of... I think he will be an Attorney General. Yeah. Wouldn't that be great? So if he could do that, yeah. then he could get rid of like two-thirds of the FBI, keep the decent agents, you know, and throw out everybody else. Because mm-hmm. the FBI and the ATF, if people forget Waco. Waco was done by the FBI and the ATF. Of course. Yeah. And the we Clinton administration. That. So there's a lot of really evil Oklahoma. people in the FBI, despite the fact that there's probably some good people there, too. Beg pardon? The FBI, CIA are involved way back. Uh, of course they are. Kennedy, Martin yep. Luther King, Nixon. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, they got even with Nixon, actually, because Nixon, they want to go along with their corruption uh, because he, he didn't want to do whatever things they were telling him to do. So they created all this Watergate. Nixon really didn't do anything. But like I said, it's all going to be out Well, not compared to Obama or, or Brandon. I mean, yeah. stealing the White yeah. House. Watergate, you know, yeah. breaking into Democrat headquarters and covering it up mm-hmm. is nothing compared to stealing the oh, White nothing. House and putting a fraudulent exactly. government and potentially causing a nuclear war. You know, from so so things. He's not even commander in chief. He can't. He could. So you could have the first illegal person in the White House get us involved in a nuclear war. You know, and without Congress saying a thing, because they're a bunch of wimps and weenies. This is how scary it is. Yeah. I got a question that's a little bit different, and something I was thinking about last couple of days. If you look at the title of the show, the title of the show today: the Great Vaccine Riots of 2023, and then slash Tucker Carlson exposes the January 6 lies. Okay, we've talked about Tucker Carlson, but we haven't talked about something I thought of last night. It just hit me as, as, as like God puts ideas in my head, and it comes usually when I'm making food. So I think it was like an avocado last night. So I'm cutting up an avocado. Oh, I'm no. Like, oh no! This is, this is, seriously, this is what happens. I'll, I'll like be on a bike ride. I'll be doing something inconsequential. A lot of times, making food and God puts ideas in my head. And one of the, this idea that just slammed in last night really hard and fast is that there are millions. I was thinking about the died suddenly, and there was another report of uh, someone put something on, on Facebook. Um, one of Panettiere or somebody who's 28 years old. It's either, I think Hayden Panettiere was like an actress in the 80s. So it's probably her kid. Um, but anyway, he's mm-hmm. dead at 28. What I'm thinking is 
there are millions of young men in this country that got the jab. There are millions of young oh, men yeah. that, have, that have a ticking time bomb in their body. And there's very little, well, there's something they can do about it, but most of them won't because they, they don't access the information that can help them remove the spike proteins and, and detox from the vaccine. My mm-hmm. fear, and I just saw this last night, is that at some point, millions of young men who have nothing to live for because they've got this ticking time bomb in their system. It's an absolute betrayal of their parents, of the government, of their teachers, of the media, of their friends. Mm-hmm. And now they've got this ticking time bomb in their system where they could be dead any time. That makes for yeah. desperate people. Okay? That makes for very desperate people. So let's throw in the heat of the summer. So how many people, how many young people, famous young people have to die before all the other young people realize that this is such a problem? They've, got, they're, you know, they've, got, they've been betrayed so badly that what if they start rioting? What if, they, what if they have nothing to lose? And they start taking it on government buildings, on corporate buildings, on Pfizer's headquarters, on, on judges, on, on various personnel, on campaign folks. What if they start taking this out on all the people in society uh, that they, they think has cost them their, their life at a very young age? I believe what's going to happen and what I was mm-hmm. told, kind of like, you know, people were talking about it. Uh, I believe that once the American people knows exactly the real truth and who's behind this whole thing, they're going to go after them. These people will not have a place to hide nowhere in Mm -hmm. the earth, nowhere, Mm -hmm. because these people are criminal. These people have genocided the entire world, but mainly America. Not mm-hmm. as much around the world like here. No, because uh, we have freedom. Somebody they, don't, they, say, they don't want freedom. That's why we get oppressed yeah, on the most show here. Of the, most of the dead are going to be in America, not worldwide. There is mm. worldwide death, but not as the Pfizer, the Moderna, uh, the Johnson & Johnson, all those are all deadly, all of them. Mm-hmm. And right. there was a doctor talking, uh, uh, she was a natural doctor, she was going step by step. I'll send you, I have to find it, I was listening to it yesterday. She was going mm-hmm. step by step, what, shot number one, what it does, shot number two, and the yeah, boosters. Yeah, I like to see that. The boosters are like, yeah, yeah, the boosters are like insulin, and you get addicted, and you're going to want to have them, you're craving for those boosters, she was saying. So that's the purpose of the boosters. And she was saying that the boosters are fully contaminated with HIV uh, virus mm-hmm. uh, in them. But, but they're the same formula? I mean, they don't have a separate booster formula. They've got the same formula for all of them. A booster just means it's your third or fourth shot. But I don't think the boosters are mm-hmm. any different than the initial shot. And I know there's HIV in all of them. Judy Michael said there was HIV in, in the, the COVID shot. Yeah. Plus graphene oxide, this, plus uh, lipid nanoparticles yeah. of death and spike proteins and all that stuff's in there. King Little Cobra, death files. Uh, some of the sea yeah. There's a mixture of everything, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, and, you know, I have I had a couple young girls in this last week and this week with chest pain, young, young girls. Mm-hmm. And another one, she's having horrible cramps, she told me, in her stomach so bad yesterday. But I wanted to talk uh, for the few minutes. Sure. Uh, my husband is having problems on the other side. Oh. He had hip surgery uh, four years ago. So now he can hardly walk anymore. Um, so 
one of my friends, she was having bad, bad shoulder pain. So she went locally here and out of pocket, I think it was either three or $4,000, and she got this shot, stem cells, and her shoulder's perfect now. So What's it she called? gave us a number and all that. Huh? What's the shot called? I don't know. It's something to do with stem cells. Oh, stem cells. Um, okay. From okay. umbilical cord and uh, plasma and all this thing that they mix. I don't know what they do. But mm-hmm. uh, anyway, we got so excited because uh, my husband, he can hardly walk. And right now we really want to stay away from hospitals because we're afraid they're going to sneak in the vaccine and we've been avoiding the test on your nose, vaccine and all that for the last two and a half years now. And uh, we made an appointment for Wednesday, and it's going to be, uh, like, closer to 5000 and then you get a discount as a military and all that. But, you know, I went to bed, and I'm like, I was kind of bothered this morning. I think we're going to cancel that appointment because God was telling me, like you were telling me a few minutes ago, that God tells you a thing when you were poo-pooing or whatever. But this is when I went to bed last night. I'm thinking, where are they getting the stem cells? Where are they getting the umbilical cord? Where are they getting hmm. this plasma? Are you they know getting where. it from people that are vaccinated? Hmm. You know what I mean? So well, I'm usually like stem cells come from uh, from aborted babies, to be perfectly blunt. Uh-huh. That's, where they, that's where they come from. You know, that's part of the abortion mm-hmm. industry. You know, and so now can you get stem cells from umbilical cords from naturally born babies? I bet you could because umbilical cords are not capped. You know, you don't, you don't take them home with you, you know. So there's no reason no. that from naturally born babies, they could not be getting stem cells from those. You know, I mean, that would be hmm. that would make perfect sense. But I don't think that's where, where some of these are coming from. Um, and that's my that's my concern is that the, the, the abortion industry is providing the stem cells. So you have to check course them as far as the vaccine goes. Uh, I don't think there's any vaccine free blood. So if you get a blood transfusion or anything like that, you're going to get spike proteins. And then you have to go through the, the Judy Mikovits and other protocols to reduce the spike protein. But yeah. Here's what's interesting. Here's the yeah. thought for you, too, that the, um, uh-huh. we, we talk about all, all this stuff in the vaccine. And, and you look at it. It's a small vial. And so how did they pack mm-hmm. in, you know, lipid nanoparticles, uh, graphene oxide, iron, um, you know, all the poisons, the snake venom, um, all the different things that are in there. The, and, and how could they pack all that in there? And I was thinking about that, and I, and I realized, they don't have to have a lot of these different poisons in there because with the messenger RNA that makes mm-hmm. spike protein, all they have to have is a little it tiny bit in there and your body will make more mm-hmm. of it itself. Exactly. It's like a, a machine. Have, it's making exactly. it. Exactly. So they turn yeah. you into right. um, basically a factory of your own death. You're basically producing your yep. own death, which is what a virus does to your body. So my question is, there, there was a report. I should look this up, but I remember Alex Jones. This was a few years ago. He was reporting. This is mm-hmm. before COVID. So this would have been about 2017, 2018 maybe. And he, and I thought he was absolutely right. He's been right on a few things. He's been wrong on a bunch of stuff. But oh, he, he was right on, on two a things. a lot of things. Well, yeah. Well, the thing he was most right on was the government was arming itself with hundreds of thousands of firearms, hundreds of thousands of agents, and billions of rounds of ammunition. So he was, at, he was the first to report that. He was absolutely right. The other thing he was, I think, right on that we don't really talk about is he talked about there's this chemical bioweapon coming out, and it's, it's called a binary weapon. In other words, he says there's two parts to it. He says there's the, the disease and the vaccine. So we have, this is before we even know what COVID was. This is, I, if you look it up, it's probably, like I say, 2017, maybe 2018. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but he talked about this, and I said, well, that's interesting. Let's watch out for that. And eventually we all put it together that COVID is what, what they call a binary weapon. In other words, there's two parts. It's like, do you know how, do you know how a binary chemical weapon works? You know, you have, one chemi- you have two chemicals by themselves. They're not dangerous. You put them together, and they're, they're lethal. You know, it's like epoxy. Hmm. Okay, if you ever glue with epoxy, mm-hmm. epoxy is two components, right? There's, there's, there's two kinds mm-hmm. of stuff. And by themselves, you get two tubes. They're nothing. You mix them together, and if you don't, put them, if you don't set it properly, it's going to set on its own. But they, they, to, okay. together, they, they harden into a, a unique product uh, that is absolutely rock solid. That's what epoxy is. So what, what we're mm-hmm. thinking is that COVID is a binary weapon. In other words, the first part of the binary weapon that's dangerous but not that dangerous to most of us is the virus. So we got the virus. We hacked and coughed for a couple of weeks. We got over it. Now we're immune. Okay, so that's fine. The second part of the binary weapon is the jab that makes more of the virus and the spike proteins and all the dangerous things that are in it. And that's what ultimately kills you with the swollen hearts, the brain things and all that, and the, the strokes and everything else. And so it's a binary weapon. And in order for it to work, you have to, one, infect the entire population with the first weapon. Well, they did that with COVID. They, they spread it worldwide. And the second part of it is, is, is the bioweapon is to make sure everybody gets the jab. And, th- and those two work together. So the COVID virus and the COVID jab combined is what kills people because either one by themselves. If you gave, if you gave COVID jabs with no COVID virus, it, I mean, it probably would cause harm, but it wouldn't be anywhere near as deadly as it is now. The COVID virus just by itself with no vaccine, yeah, people, most people get it and get over it, you know, like a, like a cold or a flu bug, and, and that would be the end of it. But because they put both at the same time, it's the combination that makes it the truly dangerous bioweapon. And they work off each other. Absolutely. You know, yeah. that's, that's how I see it. The combination. Yeah. That's exactly what's going on. Okay. Yeah. So, and they so know let's... it. And the hospitals, and the uh-huh. hospitals know it, right? You should I know see they how know many it. people are coming to buy uniforms. They're hiring so many people. The hospital, and they're all they foreign. Know what's coming. And they're all on visas. And the and hospitals foreign, right? are packed right now. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I had a concern. If you remember, I had a, a, a colon check, you know, my five-year check, right? And my concern, this was mm-hmm. a year ago, and my concern was, that I, I told him, I said, and I told the hospital ahead of time, I said, you bet, I'm not going to mention which, which where I got this, but uh, I'm not, I, I said, look, you guys better, you know, I said, do you have any vaccine stuff on the premises? They said, no, we don't even have it here. It's not here. You're not going to get a jab while you're under. Because that was my fear, too. And I thought it was yeah. a reasonable fear. Uh, and I ended up uh, ca- catching a small cold anyway, but, you know, that's because when you have that check, you're pretty exposed, shall we say? Anyway, but the point is, I'm fine, so that's the good news. But the other news is, that um, that I was concerned. And apparently, other people are concerned too. And the staff told me that a lot of them they don't they didn't get the jab. <laughs> you know, they did the, the whatever they had to do kind of thing. Uh, and so yeah. it's um, but that's 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 very prominent. Because you, you mentioned before too that they have a lot of foreign nurses and doctors that are here on visas, and they have to follow yeah. orders or they they lose their visa. Are you still seeing that? Uh I, I don't know if they lose their visas or not, but oh, there's a lot of, of people country. staying. No, I had a lot of people shopping in my store, okay. uh, but not necessarily nurses. Uh, what I was saying is they're here with their husbands, with their wife, you know, uh, with their children, and they're getting visa to come and work here. That's the, the agenda is to come and work here to take American jobs. That's the agenda right now. Uh-huh. Yep. Uh, so so they're trying to destroy this country completely. 
And mm-hmm. for example, remember that guy that I met from Venezuela and Walmart, and he gave his life to Jesus right there in the hallway yeah. in, uh, yeah, in Walmart. Uh, he's from Venezuela, and he did get the visa to come here. Uh, I, I don't know, but nobody claimed him that nobody was going to be responsible for it. They just gave him a visa, I guess. Mm-hmm. And his wife is going to come later, and child, and a 23-year-old, I guess, daughter or whatever they have. But uh, he didn't have no place to go. He didn't have nothing. And uh, he was towards the beach, hungry, picking up apples from the garbage can to to eat. Uh, I think he arrived in December, he was telling me. Hmm. Uh, But people like this that come from communists, I'm willing to help. But people from other countries, uh, they're just coming because they're poor not because they're suffering like Venezuelan people, Cuban people, with communists. You know, it's totally different to me. You can't come here just because uh, you're poor. You know, this idea, America's not a place where you come for a better life. America's a place you come to make American lives better. Immigration is for Americans. Exactly. And it's not for. Yeah. So you have to prove that you can make life better for Americans before you come here. So what we really yeah. need to do is stop all, all immigration for a while. I mean, all of it, legal, illegal, everything. Uh, send about 30 million people back home. Now, I don't, uh, you know, if someone's been here 30 years, that means they've been committing a crime for 30 years. You know, we call that a serial yeah. criminal, okay? You know, the, the DACA, the dreamers, right? You know, the nightmares, the DACA, the DACA nightmares, okay? The people that are brought here illegally by their parents. Well, we have to discourage that kind of thing. And the only way you discourage it is you send the DACA people home, okay? If they stayed, if they came as a child, I don't fault them. I've said this before on the show. I do not fault kids that are brought here illegally by their parents. That is not their fault. What is their fault is staying here as adults. They need to correct that. They need to yeah. go home and apply to come in legally. So anybody who's here as an illegal DACA that's been here past that. their 18th mm-hmm. birthday should be sent home because this know, is not the their home. That, the young girl that was Greg, the young girl that was working for me, uh, she's uh, Mexican descent. Uh, she was born in Texas, of course. Uh, mm-hmm. Her mom, she's been in America um, over 30 years now, mm-hmm. and she never did her paperwork. She barely speaks English. She depends on her daughter and her son. I mean, it is ridiculous, and uh, she should be deported because you know what? She's never done anything. She has so many years to become legal, to say, hey, mm-hmm. I'm sorry mm-hmm. my parents brought me as a child, like you're saying, and if not, you need to go. Bye-bye. I don't care if you've been here 30 years. Yeah, if you're old, you're but old. Your company you still should, I mean, uh, your country should, should take care of you. It's not our responsibility if you've been here 30 years illegally. That's not our problem. You know, the same thing. And here's the other thing, too. This is what Trump, I want to talk to Peter Navarro about this when he's on again. We need to go through all of the people that were born here to illegal parents. Of course, that would include Kamala Harris. We need to to correct their citizenship to the citizenship of their parents. Now, whether we let them stay or not, if they stay here as undetermined or never to be citizens or, you know, once it's corrected, you know, have a different status. But you cannot award criminal behavior, and that includes birth tourism and all the folks that run across the board and have kids. None of those kids are legal Americans for the 14th Amendment. So what we need to do is a massive computer correction uh, and, and assign those folks their, their correct nationality and then decide what to do with them. And this is, we're talking millions of people. This is, could be 30, millions. 40, whatever many, millions, okay? So millions of people millions. who think they're Americans oh, yeah. but really aren't, we need to correct that because there's no... Yeah. It's not in the con- in fact the Constitution says just the opposite. You cannot be an American unless you're you're, you're citizen jur- jurisdiction. You have to have been given birth by an American or a legal permanent resident. Right. Otherwise, you're not an American. 
And being on American soil yeah. is irrelevant. That's not what the Constitution says. Okay? It says citizenship. It doesn't say geographical jurisdiction. So that's the first thing. So the second mm-hmm. thing is we need to correct literally millions. So we can do it through a computer. Just trace the birth records. And whenever people come in for, oh, yeah. for, for any kind of assignment. So what Trump needs to do is an illegal alien census. So we need to go through the country and check all the folks that suddenly showed up or that showed up here where their parents were not citizens. And we need to assign them the citizen, their correct citizenship. So we need to correct all these citizenships. Then we need to decide what to do with these folks. Can they stay? Can they go? We need a permanent provision where they can never be citizens so they can never vote. They can never serve on a jury. They can never do what citizens do. So it takes away the incentive. We cannot reward people for for giving birth here to fraudulent citizens. So that needs to change. That's that's exactly what America is doing. We're rewarding criminals, literally. Exactly. You don't reward criminals. You put them Mm -hmm. away. And, uh, and, you know, I'm a Latina, and I feel sad for a lot of these people, but that's not the way you do things. You Mm -hmm. break our laws. But yeah. our government is breaking the laws first, and then they want everybody else to break the law. And, and people are following the footstep of the fraud that we have in D.C., but it's coming to an end, and they're going to do a lot of harm uh, before this is over, right? And mm-hmm. I don't know if you knew, uh, they found a bioweapon lab in the mansion. He has like a private island, uh, Joe Biden in Ukraine. It looks like they found a bioweapon lab underground his mansion in Ukraine. Uh, Biden has a mansion in Ukraine? Biden has yeah. a mansion in Ukraine? Oh, we need pictures of that. Yeah, give me, give me a story. So it's put like on a, a special private island, I heard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, let's, yeah. Get, let's get a story yeah. on that. Let's put it in special investigations. Let's take I'll a look. I'll try to dig it in more. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, so they found a bioweapon lab privately uh, underground his, uh, his mansion. But his mansion has already been taken over by Putin uh, and all the money frozen in the Ukraine and Russia by Putin in control of the Ukraine. Um, he already rescued about over 40,000 uh, children underground child trafficking. And like I said before, there's 11 bioweapon labs standing and he will not touch him because that's what he's going to show the world what's exactly has been going on in the Ukraine with our Pentagon our State Department, are criminals, criminals for years. And this is, uh, they have other bioweapons uh, throughout the world also. I think it's about 340 total or something like that. Hmm. Yeah, it's only 46 in the Ukraine. But Ukraine is the cesspool of the corruption of all. And that's the swamp Donald Trump was talking about. We did not know what he was talking about. Well, I knew, I knew what he was talking about, I mean, but yeah, Ukraine, well, I've wondered about Ukraine ever since I first heard about them in the first impeachment. So why does this country keep coming mm-hmm. up? So here's the question, too. Uh, Brandon blew up the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. Germany's mad. Russia's yeah. mad. Norway was involved in it. They dropped the son of boys. So, so our Navy set the charges in June uh, of last year, and then they were blown up in, in the fall of last year in September when uh, Norway dropped a son of boy and set up the charges. So the question is, have there been repercussions from that? Have you heard anything you know, on the worldwide scene that either Russia is going to take some action, is it a UN resolution or an actual attack? Are they going to rebuild the pipelines? Or what's, uh, what's happening to that? Because that, that's an act of war. It was an act of war against, against Russia by Brandon unilaterally, yeah. without congressional approval, without a declaration of war. He blows up their pipeline, and Germany's not happy either. So now yeah. what? Well, what we know is that Donald Trump is involved with Putin. So there's not going to be no nuclear war with Russia or anything because Donald Trump is working with Putin to destroy all the bioweb crane 
Donald Trump has sent a bunch of snipers to get rid of a lot of neo-Nazis already. They're going to clean house. Uh, if, if Putin wanted to take over Ukraine, it would have happened within 24 to 48 hours. But that's not what the, what's going on. Uh, what's going on is the bioweapons, freezing all the money of the criminal Biden, Clintons, Obama, uh, John Kerry, Pelosi, her son, Biden's son. So where's the money? Because Ukraine's a money laundering piggy bank for the Democrats and Republicans exactly. too. So, so, so Ukraine is a money laundering bank. This is where they go to, to stash the cash and, uh, yeah. you know, launder it. Okay, exactly. so where where is it? Is there a Clinton Foundation there? Is there a certain uh, company of banks that's uh, like Ukraine National Bank? I mean, where where's the money? Where are they actually laundering? It? I'm not sure. I, I'm you find not out sure maybe. Let's let's find out. I can ask, but. But yeah. what happens is since since the uh, money was frozen in Russia and in the Ukraine by Putin, okay, mm-hmm. uh, that's why these criminals have sent themselves 60 billions with a B to themselves. The Ukrainian people, they're asking me on, on, on Messenger, hey, mm-hmm. do you know anybody that wants to donate money? Because some of our soldiers, which one of my young friends uh, with two kids, they they took her husband as a soldier, and and they get wet with the snow and all that, and then they're freezing almost to death. And uh, and the military are not giving them new uniforms, so they're begging, literally, people. Uh, she sent me a big uh, thing. They're begging for donations to help the military. I said, excuse me, I'm not going to help the military in the Ukraine. They already got sixty billion, and she was telling me she goes, we haven't got nothing. So, uh, no, the money's going somewhere else, Biden, but, yeah. Yeah, to so their yeah. pockets of the criminals and neo-Nazis. You know, Biden traveled to San Croix Island, uh, what, last month or whenever that was? It was to divide all the money because he's the head honcho, supposedly, hmm. you know, of course, it's Obama. Well, wait a minute, show. so, but he's not, he's not competent to be the head honcho, so who else was there? Well, I mean, in name only, he's the big, big guy. That decides all of all what's happening, but in yeah, reality, but it's not the big guy. It's Obama. It's Obama. Obama is the. But there the was some hunter. billionaire. Remember, there was a state of some billionaire's house. Mm-hmm. This is about maybe four or five months ago. It was in Saint Croix. Mm-hmm. And so, but they, he was they at some went, billionaire's house. Do you remember who that was? Mm-hmm. No, I don't remember. Huh. But the reason they went to Saint Croix is to divide all the money coming back. The, I'm not surprised. Went to the Ukraine. Mm-hmm. You know, there was there was no it's press coverage of it. Thing. Yeah, there was no press coverage. There's no press report. There's no there was no nope. uh, no press conference. Uh, there was no media coverage. I mean, when would when could how could a president travel to an island and not have press coverage? I mean, Air Force One of always course. has press on it. So he mm-hmm. must have taken a smaller jet. It's still Air Force One because he's on board because they, they think he's president. Yes. But he's flying to St. Croix. He stays at a billionaire's house. Nobody talks about it. Yep. Nobody investigates. Nobody's there. There's no press conference there. That's insane. Because all, because all the corrupt, corrupt media are being paid big, big money. All of them. All of them. Just, you know, the sad part is coming from our dollars. Our tax do- they're using our tax dollars. So what Trump's going to do, and this dollars. is what's going to be good, Trump's going to cut all that tax money to the deep state. That's where it's going to get interesting. What Trump is, what Trump is going to do, he's not going to honor all this money. So he's allowing them to do whatever the heck they want. Because I heard 
that our money is going to change, and he's not going to honor all this money of these people. They're going to eat it. How's that money going to change? He doesn't chip. That's what I heard, that our money is already made in Texas since last January, waiting, ready to go. What kind uh, of money? Are we talking currency? Seen... Are we talking cryptocurrency? Currency. Or talking... currency. Bills. So, so we're, we're bills. printing new bills? Yes. It's, they're already done. They're already hang in on. Texas waiting. Let's, let's look it up. Let's, Super let's see what we've got on that. Okay, hang on. So and why, would we, why, would we print new, why would we, we, would we print new currency? Because of the cobalt is going to be gone worldwide, and all these countries, corrupt countries in it, they're going to try to cash in their dollar bills one by for one, and Donald Trump is not going to do it. They're going to eat all their money. A lot of these countries, they're going to lose it all. And Rothschild is not going to be no more. So it's a lot coming. It's a lot coming, and uh, I don't. I'm not, I'm not sure 100 percent, but that's what I heard. Uh, each family is going to get $100,000 with the new currencies to start circulating the new money uh, when Donald Trump returns. That's what my husband's cousin say, and, uh, you know, he's, like, close, so close with Mike Flynn, so I'm sure he's the one that told us about that. He's the commander's artist. Uh, he does all the painting and everything, He's uh, and he's running uh, George Magazine, too, with Gene Ho, so they know a lot what's going on, and I don't. So that's what I heard. <laughs> So a lot is going to happen. A lot is going to change. And uh, like I said before, it's just a temporary takeover by our military to get everything in place and well-organized in America and go back to the way America is supposed to be. And this is going to happen worldwide. A lot of people in Colombia are are excited about it because uh, they know what's coming. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, like Turkey, they want to get involved with Ukraine because they know the corruption is going on. So there's a lot going to be happening quickly. Uh, so we just have to be ready. I know we're going to go through a lot, but be patient and listen to that recording from Trump again. He said, "Be patient. Things we're going to we're going to be good or something like that." He said. Yeah. He keeps us, and we know we know what he means because. The Q drop keeps telling us different things. So, so Q Q's still out there. We we still got a Q drop. That's interesting. Uh yeah, there is. Uh, I don't know what's the latest. I didn't see it yet, but we need uh, a Q report. Remember yeah. when Karen used to do the Q reports? We need a Q report again. Yeah. You know, especially when the left is against Q reports. Let's go. Let's have a Q and on report. I don't care. I think, Let's go for I think it. what happened. Karen got a little disappointed and all that, but you cannot. <laughs> You have to be in plan A, meaning you have to stay put. You have to believe. You have to uh, ride the storm, and we are going to go through a bad storm. These people are going to try to kill us with chemicals. With We have we have professional masks, me and my husband. We have five of them uh, mm-hmm. because there's going to be chemicals like what they did in, uh, in Ohio. This is on purpose. We, this is not just an accident, not at all, not at all. Well, I think the accident was an accident, I think, but burning the chemicals was intentional because I don't know if they necessarily planned just to poison everybody there. Okay. Well, I mean, I I want to see, you know me, I need to see some evidence. I need to see uh, the the rationale. I need to see the players. I need to know why people think that, you know, so I need to to get some more details as to why they think that uh, it happened. But uh, it's so well organized. All a plan to distract people and at the same time kill innocent people like what they're doing with the vaccine. But I got to go. God bless.
Uh, God bless you, know, you too. I got to go get ready. <laughs> She's now no, okay. it's after nine, and I'm like, I have to go earn my go, living, go, okay? Go, go, go have fun. We'll see you next week. All right, ciao. Thanks, thanks Jesse. Or when next time you call in. God bless you guys. All right, God bless you. Grüß Gott. Arrivederci. Wiedersehen. Uh, Dos <laughs> you can think of a language. We cover a lot of languages here. Oh, it's, like it's just me right now. Uh, I had one person who was maybe going to type in a message on live chat. Uh, I don't see uh, Cyanide77, our, our, uh, our other person has not, uh, our, our Netherlands contact has not checked in. We've got uh, uh, Sarge1C in the conversation, uh, but has not typed a message yet, but that's okay. Uh, I'll give our, our Sarge a chance to type a message in. Anybody else wants to join us, just go to the live chat, get yourself a free account, sign in, uh, and then you can type in that way. And it's a lot easier uh, than calling internationally, which is very expensive. But we do have a Skype line. So if you want to call the Skype line when the show is in operation, that will register your call, and then I can okay your account, and then you call back another time. And uh, we go from there. That's how it works. All right, so it is now 908 and so we're going to take a little break now. We've been going steadily since 7 o'clock, so we've got over two hours in. Take a break. I want to come back and talk about this idea of the, the great vaccine riot. <laughs> I've got, I, I mean, I don't mean to joke about it. I mean, I've got some other stuff to talk about. But what's going to happen when, when millions of young men especially uh, realize that uh, their heart is, is permanently damaged, uh, that there was no reason for it, that it was a total betrayal um, of the government, of their parents, of their teachers, of their leaders, of all the people they thought that they could trust, and all of a sudden now, they're stuck with this, uh, this you know, uh, five-finger death touch exploding heart technique thing, you know, from, uh, from Pulp Fiction. Uh, and it's very real, and, and young men are dying. Young women are dying too, but young men are dying especially. Women are having other problems with fertility and everything else. All right, let's play, take a little break here, and I'll be back in a few minutes. I'm going to play most of my, my commercial stuff now, so it'll be a few minutes. Um, but then uh, once we come back, we'll get, uh, we'll get stuck into all the other um, news that I have and articles and everything else and then we'll be done at uh, 10 o'clock so yeah, a little less than an hour about 50, 51 minutes uh, back in a few minutes right now this is Greg Penglis for Strike Force, your source for pure energy Strike Force is a concentrated energy drink that turns a half liter of your favorite beverage into an energy drink you make your energy drink yourself Action Radio is an affiliate of Strikeforce, so our listeners get a 20% discount. All you do is add our code, WYL, to the discount code window at checkout. WYL comes from our website, Write Your Laws. So, you can get your energy drink, a 20% discount, and help Action Radio change the relationship of we the people to our government. Not bad. Strikeforce is at strikeforceenergy.com. That's strikeforceenergy.com. Start your engines. Hello, this is Greg Penglis for our newest shooting range here in Milton, Florida. Stand your ground. My friend Jason Myers and crew are creating an incredible facility for our city. Stand Your Ground is located at 6632 Elva Street. The phone number is 850-789-1776. Their email is standyourground1776 at gmail.com. Here you'll find either in process or already going an indoor shooting range, axe throwing, archery, a rage room, self-defense classes, concealed carry weapons classes, security license training, paintball, a full-service gun store, and 24-7 online ordering. So come on down, 
or contact them by phone, email, or website and learn how you can best stand your ground. From addiction to achievement, that is the story of Mike Lindell. It started with my pillow and now goes to my coffee. Action Radio is proud to be an affiliate of my pillow. Our discount code is the same for all our product affiliates, W-Y-L, which stands for Write Your Laws. My Pillow Pillows are guaranteed the most comfortable pillow you'll ever own. Action Radio is guaranteed to be the most controversial show you will ever hear. Check out their products with our discount code at mypillow.com slash W-Y-L. That's MyPillow.com slash W-Y-L. Or order now by calling 1-800-544-8939. That's 1-800-544-8939. Sleep well so you can wake up and hear Action Radio live. Do you know your way around healthcare, insurance, pharmacies, surgery? Alternative treatments and choices? I don't. Which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Great Care. And now as an affiliate of Great Care, we are proud to offer through our discount code, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws, a 10% discount. Great Care saves you both time and money. They provide medical advocacy, consultation, advice, and recommendations nationwide. Their website is greatcare.com. That's G-R-A-I-T-H care.com. You can email them at greatcare.adm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Great Care. Better health through better knowledge and advocacy. Action Radio, part of the ADHD Radio Network, the ultimate free speech zone. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed and have the power through juries to nullify the laws by which we do not consent to be governed. At Action Radio, we don't report the news. We are the news. Every other show reports what has happened. We talk about what can happen. From the questions no one has thought to ask, to the answers no one has thought to consider, to the actions no one has dared to take. That is Action Radio. And we're back. And as I said, the lines are open. Everything's clear. We've got the live chat. We've got to just check the Skype. I took the Skype line actually before the show. Nobody's there. Got a couple of speakers on live uh, chat. We'll see who wants to uh, uh, possibly join in. Uh, you can do that from anywhere in the world. Only when we're live. You know, once, once we go into podcast, of course, I'm not here. Nobody's here. You can't do a live chat unless we're live. <laughs> it's just kind of how it works. All right. Anyway, so that's how that goes. Got a lot of information. 
Uh, I've got a lot of things going on, but I want to kind of talk about this for a second. Um, and this is this is what it has occurred to me um, of late. Uh, the title of the show today, The Great Vaccine Riots of 2023, and Tucker Carlson exposes the January 6th lies. And so the, the, there's, there's three big lies. The three big lies are that um, what the truth is, well, it's easy to tell you the truth, and then you can tell you the lie, that the lie is just the opposite. So the truth is that the, January, that the, uh, the 2020 election was stolen. It was stolen by Dominion and their voting machines. It was stolen by uh, hacking in. It was stolen by manipulating the vote. It was stolen by <clears throat> blocking the counts and the supervision. It was stolen by a whole bunch of different ways. But, and it was stolen uh, January 6th by making sure that the Trump electors were, were not considered. That was Mike Pence's job um, to make his bones before the, the deep state gods so that he could uh, be the Republican deep state nominee um, coming uh, a year from August. So that's how that's going to work. So the, the truth is 2020 election was stolen. We know that. Okay. Uh, the next truth is that everything about the January 6th uh, event uh, was a lie. You know, we call it the Capitol Hill Invitational Walk-In because Capitol Hill police were literally inviting people to walk in. Okay. That's the truth. And now, the, now the, all the videos coming out proving what we've been saying since January 7th, <laughs> you know, 2020. So that was, this is 2023. So we've been saying it for three years. We were right then. We're right now. You know, we had people on the ground there. Jonathan was there. Josie was there. We had people actually on the ground at the Capitol January 6th. So we know what happened because they were right there. They saw it. They told us. Right? So we knew it was an invitational walk-in. We knew the barricades were removed. We knew the National Guard wasn't there. We knew that all the, the leaders, Mitch McConnell, uh, uh, Nancy Pelosi, you know, conspired to basically bring in people up top so they could hold an insurrection underneath the Capitol. That's the part you didn't see. Uh, and that's the next thing to report is what happened underneath the Capitol. That's the surveillance I want. I know what happened above the Capitol. People walked around. Ashley Babbitt got murdered by Michael J. Byrd. Oh, and a couple of, uh, of uh, some operatives from the FBI, KGP, uh, Antifa, and Black Lives Matter, you know, destroyed things, broke windows, and generally tried to get everybody else to do the same thing. So those are the people you had honest, law-abiding Trump supporters who were walking through taking selfies. You had Antifa and Black Lives Matter walking in early before the Trump supporters got there because they had disrupted the Arizona vote. Uh, on whether to take the Brandon electors or whether to take the, um, uh, the Trump electors. And, of course, they should have taken the Trump electors because Trump won. <laughs> the vote fraud is overwhelming. Okay? The other thing is, um, is, is the, the big lie, of course, of January 6th. Uh, the other big lie is quit. Okay? So COVID was done to, for a bunch of reasons, but one of them, besides killing a lot of people, uh, making people billionaires, you know, and uh, is, is to have absolute control over this country through, through fear. So it's like any other dictatorship. It's a dictatorship of fear. You know, the Nazis demonized the Jews and uh, the, the COVID people demonized anybody who didn't comply. Now, it looks like I've got uh, a call that's either a block number or it's international. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to mute. Uh, I'm not going to mute myself, but I'm going to I'm going to take myself into the screening room, uh, check out this call. But let me play something for you guys that will take uh, a couple of minutes here. Maybe that's something really short now. Let's play one of my commercials. And uh, this will hold you for just a little bit. It won't take me long to find out who it is. I might even play one of my musical selections. Uh, let's do that. Let's, let's play something. Um, give, me, give me something that uh, will inspire you for a bit. Give me some, some fights and drums, and I will be right back.
Okay, this took a little longer than I expected. <laughs> this took a little longer than I expected, so we're, we're still doing stuff here. So let me play you something else. And uh, we got we got a call here. I'm going to get him on the air. Uh, I just need to play something long enough um, so that uh, uh, give me a, a few more seconds to to do stuff here. <laughs> let me give you a, a classical musical selection. Let's see if I can find out. Oh, that's too long. Uh, yeah, let's play this. Be right back. Okay, I'm back. <laughs> Let's bring Sarge onto the air. So, so Sarge did exactly the right thing. He types in on live chat, um, but I just had a number that I didn't recognize, and so I wanted to just talk to him off the air a little bit, uh, find out what's up. Sarge, welcome to Action Radio. So we are live now. We are broadcasting worldwide, so uh, this is kind of cool. Thanks for typing in on the live chat first. I do appreciate that. Uh, and um, how long have you been listening? What's on your mind? You've been, you've been sort of picking up the show for a while here. Uh, so if we had Brianna in the first hour, Josie in the second hour, Pianchi, our regular caller, and it's just us right now. So, what's on your mind? Okay. Good. Uh, great. Um, you know, one thing about this whole discussion about the election and the election uh-huh. fraud, which is undoubted as far as I'm concerned. I mean, I, you okay. know, I have no, even without a shred of evidence, there's mm-hmm. no way on God's green earth that I'm going to believe that Joe Biden got 81 million votes more than any other president or presidential candidate in the history of the United States. I am never going to believe it no matter what. But I realize I have to have evidence in order to make a case that the election was stolen. And part of the problem for me is that people are constantly showing, well, you know, these unsubstantiated claims about Dominion and Smartmatic and all this other nonsense, and that's supposed to be a diversion from what's hiding in plain sight. And that is the obvious, clear, uncontroverted, and undoubted violation of the Constitution. I speak of Article 2, which says that uh, electors are to be picked by the legislature, directed by the legislature, not by the executive branches. The election law is not supposed to be modified by the judicial branch. It has to be done with the consent and approval of the legislature. That was done in several states. The state of Wisconsin's. Supreme Court found that the ballot boxes were illegal. The second highest court in Pennsylvania found that the Pennsylvania legislator, legislature violated the Pennsylvania Constitution when it changed absentee voting laws with the, because the Constitution lays out quite specifically what the criteria is for someone to vote by mail, and the legislator violated that, and this court ruled that. 
There was irregularities, election audits that were inconsistent throughout the nation, but particularly the five contested swing states where they put their biggest efforts. That would be Arizona, that would be Georgia, that would be Pennsylvania, that would be Wisconsin, and probably Ohio. And maybe yeah. New Mexico. Yeah, that was, there's, there's so they seven didn't really steal the election everywhere. You're, you're right on. So, yeah, keep going. Yeah, they didn't steal the election everywhere. They still stole it in five states. That's all mm-hmm. they needed. They needed 55,000 votes in five key states to swing the election of Joe Biden. And everybody's looking at all these other things, which are somewhat controversial, to discredit mm-hmm. the things that are hiding in plain sight that were clear violations of election law and should have, as was done in 1876, with the Tilden Hayes election, where there were objections to the election, the initial electoral count was altered. It was changed from the first one that showed uh, Tilden was the winner mm-hmm. because there was controversy over it. So Congress put together a commission, and they hammered out a compromise. And then it led to the Electoral Count Act of 1877, which mm-hmm. was completely ignored in this election of 2020. And that's what gets me about it. Uh, no discussion about that. And when those that those Brunson brothers tried to bring that issue up before the court, and I think they probably did overreach because they were asking the Supreme Court to declare the election invalid and order people out of office, which mm-hmm. is something the Supreme Court just cannot do because that's no executive power. All it can yeah. do is offer a remedy, and I think – the problem with the lawsuit was that the remedy they offered was just not anything for the Supreme Court's authority to do. I mean, well, what we'll they were looking that. for was remedy, but I had the thinking is the remedy. On. Yeah, I had the Brun- I had, we had Lloyd Brunson for two hours. Yeah, I, <clears> I, I heard what he said. I was very sympathetic to their case, but I just think they <laughs> overreached by asking the Supreme Court to do something it has no authority to do. I agree. Yeah. First of all, let's, let's, let's get you a round of applause. <laughs> Because, you know, you definitely know what you're talking about. You've got the strength of your convictions. Now, are you military, or do you just go by Sarge just because? You're oh, military, I've veteran. Spent, uh, I'm a, actually, I'm a three-war veteran of Vietnam. Uh, wow. I'm an, I stayed on active duty for four years. Then I, mm-hmm. I got out of state in the National Guard for another uh, 19. Wow. And I got called up for Operation Desert Storm, although we didn't deploy to the mm-hmm. Middle East. We did stay in Germany. We were getting ready to go, but the war was over in 100 hours. Then he got called up again for Operation Iraqi Freedom. I said, three wars, one lifetime is enough for me. I'm getting out. That's it. Yeah, I've, listen, you've done more than your service. You know, I, I, thank yeah. you for service above and beyond. So, yeah, I had, that, that's wonderful. But but um, I do think but, it was the best. Uh-huh. I think uh, the, the, the United States Army and, you know, the service of the National Guard was the best educational experience of my life. Everything I learned of importance, I learned in the United States Army. So how much do they teach about the Constitution? Because I'm curious. Uh, I found a book, and this is, this is um, interesting, and I, I wish I still had it, but I found a book that was written for World War II soldiers, and it was written, it was afforded by Eisenhower, and he said, you know, the, the, the purpose of this book was to, so soldiers would understand what they're fighting for. And it went over what a republic is, what a democracy is. It went over <laughs> no, Roman times, and, you know, and went over other stuff. And it really was an education, and it was at a fairly substantial level. So we're talking, you know, farm kids and folks, you know, that, uh, that may not uh, have known a whole lot in the government education system, this is a way to get all the soldiers caught up so that they had a, a, a faith, they had a belief, they had a knowledge of what they were fighting for, you know, to oppose tyranny. 
And I wish I could find that copy, but it was a book that was written for World War II soldiers. So how much education, how much constitutional did you, education did you get uh, in the well, National Guard you know, and, and the Army? basic training, I recall, uh-huh. actually, that the emphasis was placed on primarily chain of command. You know, was okay. almost, that was on the second day we got in basic. What is the military? Who you take orders from, and they emphasized yeah. the authority of the commander-in-chief. That was really big. I remember okay. that. Every, every order you get, if you get an order to clean latrine or go on KP, that order's coming from the president. It's just delegated to the officers under command. So everything oh, okay. president never, works way down. I've never heard it put that way, but that's really interesting. Okay. And and they, they emphasize that really heavily. And they, I was surprised as to how much of the Constitution. We got a basic understanding of the Constitution. They talked a little bit, as I recall, mm-hmm. Bill of Rights. Uh, they talked about, you know, the uh, separation, the idea of separation of powers, the idea of, um, uh, you know, the responsibilities kind of the federal government. I was surprised in how much we got. But all of it, I remember, all of it was pretty much concentrated in basic training, like an orientation week, mm-hmm. first week or two. And so then really after that, I don't recall I don't... getting a lot of that in the Army, other than Are they teaching that peripheral now? stuff they'd have around the post that you could read. Yeah, are they teaching that now, even in close? I mean, I don't think so. I, mean, I this doubt is, this it. Is a I question. really do. I really yeah. doubt it. Okay, so what are they fighting for? I don't then? think so. Uh, during World War II, remember there was the Why We Fight series that Frank Capra did. Yeah, I've seen some of them. Yeah, and, yeah, it's absolutely. And right. If you ever seen the Why We Fight series, you're gonna understand why a lot of GIs probably got animated, uh, at least in base. Look, when you're out there in the bush, uh, you're fighting for your buddies, really. You right. fight not to not to let them down, and not to be seen as lesser in their eyes. It's kind of important when you got a decent outfit, got a, a certain amount of esprit de corps. You know, guys who, who like each no, other, get along with each other, respect yeah. each other, yeah. and you got good yeah. leadership. Uh-huh. So I mean, uh, all that stuff about the flag and stuff. You know, you know, you ain't worried about that too much. But as far <laughs> well, as getting you to the fight. Right. I think the Why We Fight series did a pretty good job of getting soldiers, uh, at least knowing what they were fighting for. They didn't worry about it all that much when they're getting shot at. They worried about chow ration ammo coming up, uh, you know, uh, uh, how your buddies are doing, you're letting the mail from back home, stuff like that. That's really what's most important at that point. But, yeah, the other stuff is important for motivating you to go there, you know. Mm-hmm. If you're saying, well, why am I here? Which, which often did happen in Vietnam, given the level mm-hmm. of opposition to the war, mm-hmm. that was a big problem for morale. Why are we here? They don't want the people. A lot of people back home don't seem to want us over here. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so you know, I think that is, you know, I think that is important. And you, you gotta walk. I think the authorities got to be careful to walk a fine line between overdoing it and making the troops cynical, or underdoing it and making them wonder what the heck they're doing there from the first place. It really takes a certain amount of brilliance to pull it off. And during World War II, Frank Capra and the Office of War Information were pretty good at hmm. doing it, even allowing for the excesses. Oh, yeah, I got a little crazy at some point, but that's okay. But, you know, so Office of War no, Information. No, it's the war, man. I mean, how much more yeah. extreme can you get than nations killing hundreds of thousands of their young men? Well, this is the question. So let's let's get your observation on Ukraine. Oh man, I 
you know something? <laughs> this thing in Ukraine is just beyond. It, it, it really does illustrate what happens when you're in the middle of war, and mm-hmm. war is the uh, truth is the first casualty in war. I don't think I can get the truth from either side. I know I'm being bombarded with propaganda every day. So as far as the conduct of the war and the course of the war is concerned, I look at what's happening on the map and on the ground. And what I know of warfare and what I've studied about warfare, and uh, my conclusion right now is that the Russians are essentially grinding the Ukrainians down, Ukrainians down, in an unrelenting meat grinder war of attrition in which they do what Russians always do, essentially line artillery wheel hub to wheel hub for kilometers and pound you into into atoms. Yep. And that's what it looks like what's going on in Bakhmut. They're about to complete an operational encirclement of Bakhmut. I just saw some Wagner PMC operatives apparently going to a very well-known T-34 tank monument, because, you know, T-34 was the most important tank of World War II, probably, certainly oh, in yes, Russian Oh, yes, I mean, it they, was. I mean, the, T-34 was a symbol of Russian victory. They have a yeah. very famous monument in the center, well, for Bakhmut, Bakhmut residents, certainly. It's mm-hmm. a T-34 monument in the center part of Bakhmut, and it's well-known. And you see PMC operas with the PMC Wagner flag, running up to this T-34, pulling down the Ukrainian flag and putting their flag up over it. So it's not like somebody just saying we're in an area and taking some pictures. This is a well-known monument, and it's in Bakhmut. So uh, I, I think once they complete once they complete the operational circlement, if those Ukrainians don't get out, they're going to go into the bag. They're not going to be able to resupply, not going to be able to break out of the unit. And Russian will have scored a major victory and will be well on the way to securing those breakaway provinces of Lukansk and Donetsk. And I think they're going to take it. Now, the question is, what happens after that? Ukraine is that getting is grounded. Question. I do believe their casualties are far heavier than the Russians. Now, to what degree is it? Six to one, five to one, seven to one, eight to one? I don't know. But I know it's really heavy. It's real, and the Russians can probably do attrition better than the Ukrainians can. I don't think well, you, the Well, you look at the World War II model, but, you know, the Russians lost 20 million people. Here's a staggering statistic for you. Uh, of the men that were born yeah, in Russia yeah, in yeah. 1922, so they would have been 18 in 1940. Of the men born in 1922 in Russia, 80% of them were killed in the war. 80%. <clears throat> the That's men right. Born That's in absolutely correct. So uh, think I don't about think that for any army in the, the history of yeah. military conflicts ever lost kind of casualties the Russian Soviets did right. in World War II. I mean, um, mm-hmm. 660,000 men taken prisoner in one operational encirclement battle at Kiev. Mm-hmm. 660,000. Nobody's ever seen that in the history of mankind before. Well, ancient battles, they wouldn't lose whole armies. They would yeah. lose whole army groups. In some battles, yeah, I mean groups of yeah. armies like four at Kiev, two at Smolensk, more at Vyazma. I mean, it was just absurd, and they kept fighting. That's what got mm-hmm. me. Now, well, I the alternative was they would have been shot by <laughs> they would have been shot by their officers. Well, yeah, commissars. You know. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. It, they, they were they yeah. were motivated, you know. But but what's interesting about the the Russian battle plan? Yeah, uh, the things that Russia has going for it is winter. They killed the Germans with the winter. 
you know, and Russia has been invaded three times. I think uh, Bismarck, uh, Napoleon, or, or maybe four yeah. times. Kaiser, did Bismarck invade Russia? I don't know. I know Napoleon did from France. I know. I think Kaiser Wilhelm in World War One, and I know Hitler did in World War Two, Operation Barbarossa. So we know oh, they were invaded. Knight did the same thing too back in the twelfth uh, century, I believe. Who was that now? So Russia's got a history of resisting invasions. There's no doubt about that. Well, they say nothing right. the Mongols, but you know. Russia's got a history of resisting invasion, that's true. Uh-huh. But you got to remember what motivated them uh, uh, back during World War II. It was a combination, I think, of two things. Number one, uh, the brutal- sheer brutality and cruelty of the Soviet system personified by an absolute dictatorship of Joe Stalin. But yep. he uh-huh. also managed to awaken a core of patriotic feeling in the typical Russian citizen for the motherland. It was a combination, a weird combination of the two that I think kept the Soviets fighting, even when it looked like everything was lost, especially in the opening stages of Operation Barbarossa. Mm-hmm. Like I said, when nobody in the history of mankind has ever seen those kind of military defeats, ever, even to this day, and, I, and yet, um, you know, a nation didn't lose. So, I mean, I don't know how much of that is still left in Russia. I, I, I suspect... Since they've always kept alive the history of the Great Patriotic War, mm-hmm. I mean, it's probably Russia's, Soviet Union's only real moment of glory in its entire existence. I mean, you know, look at the dismal life typical Soviet oh, no, citizen had. Uh, no, you look Despite at Russia's St. Petersburg. Now you look at Russian artists, Russian musicians. You know, Russians have a long yeah. tradition of uh, like Russian ballet. I mean, the, the oh, Russian no, no. Uh, that goes back centuries. I mean, there's centuries. I mean, the Tsars the were, were terrible. The of the but, Russian people is undoubted. I mean, they have right. capable, technologically, culturally, uh, scientifically. Of course, Russians can be at the top. It's just that all of that is squandered by the monarchies of the Tsars, and then you had the. So- there's nothing good you can say about communism in the Soviet Union as far as life for the average citizen, considering the great resources of Russia and the brutality, particularly the Stalin regime inflicted on the Ukrainians. I mean, Lord, it mer- literally a genocide. And on the rest of the Soviet people, the secret police, the KGB, the paranoia. That's what I'm talking about with Russia. I mean, with the Soviet Union. And later on, some of it, you know, it still carried over to Russia, even though it was no longer communist. Authoritarian, yeah, but communist, no, but still some of that still carried over. Well, I'll be curious what the Russian state is right now, because I think it's like a kleptocracy. It's run by a bunch of criminals, <laughs> you know, sort of like Ukraine. Uh, it's interesting. Well, here's a question for you, though, because we've got about 20 minutes left, and I'm really enjoying talking to you, so I hope you call us on a, on a regular basis. Um, but uh, did you serve in, in Europe at all in any of your uh, tours, as they call it? Did you spend any time there? Did I spend what? Time in Europe. Oh, yeah. I was after after Vietnam. I got sent to Germany, the 3rd Armored Division, on the Fulda Gap. We were at the full, uh, opposite the Fulda Gap, awaiting the Good. invasion of, I believe, the 8th Guard Soviet Tank Army. And they told us that if they hit us in a sudden Warsaw Pact blitzkrieg, mm-hmm. that we were expected to survive maybe... 72, 100 hours, maybe three, four days. As we fall back to successive phase lines where we were treating them, hoping reinforcements would arrive in time. But they figured we'd probably be annihilated. They were pretty frank about telling us this. It was amazing how frank they were. 
Well, yeah, I remember. I was a, I was a tank commander on an M sixty eight one tank in Third Armored Division, waiting for the Soviet invasion, which never came. Let me tell you something. Up. Let me tell you something. A little, a little cross uh, history that you're going to find fascinating. Uh, I went to the Folder Gap. Um, I met uh, an Army lieutenant. I'm not going to mention his name. I still remember it though, which is kind of interesting. I met an Army lieutenant on a train. And we're both there in Germany, and I was I was bumming around Europe. It was, it was after college, so this would have been '82, uh, and I was and I, we got to talking. He says, do you, "You want to come see the front?" And it's like, "Hell yeah!" <laughs> so, so he so he invites me to come up, and I was at this and an army base uh, right in the full gap. I mean, I saw it. I know exactly what you're talking about. It's like this clear pathway. You got trees on one side, trees on the other side, and there's nothing but like a like a tank highway. <laughs> you know, this, this lovely green. That's right. You know, That's what it is. Slightly roll, slightly rolling hills, and we, and the East German, you know, uh, towers were there with all the machine guns and things like that. <clears throat> you had the, the the mine, you had the sensors, you had the electronic sensors on the on the border, and there were guys playing uh, basketball, and the, and the cook was out there too. So I remember the cook with the apron, <laughs> you know, we had like the white hat, he was playing basketball, and I was, I was right there. I mean, I was right there. At the, this is 11th Cavalry, uh, Intel, Army Intelligence. So you probably know who these people were. I don't know when you were there. We might have been there at the same time. This is why I think this is so fascinating. Anyway, so I was there, and I'm a liberal college student, right? I've just come out of the University of Massachusetts. Now I'm getting my real education. You know, I crossed Checkpoint Charlie. I spent a full day in East Berlin, communist East Berlin. Um, I almost caused an international incident because I, I was like 10 minutes from curfew by the time I left. I was having such an interesting time there uh, talking to really Germans living under communism. You know, and so I wanted to make sure I maximized the experience. But I saw the the gap. I, I know where the Russians would have come through. I know how the tactical nuclear weapons would have just basically snowplowed, you know, through there. So my question is, now, given the situation, uh, given NATO, NATO, as far as I'm concerned, became obsolete when uh, Stalinist, well, when, when the Soviet Union became, you know, the Russian Federation. When Gorbachev opened things up and everything collapsed and Reagan said uh, at the Brandenburg Gate, uh, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. You know, and this was a few years later. That's what, NATO really didn't serve a purpose after that. And if we'd left these countries alone, if we just said, okay, you've got Warsaw Pact, you've got NATO, we're not going to be involved anymore. War is over. You guys handle this. Make it a European problem. Eastern Europe, Western Europe, Russia, I don't care. It's not our problem. If we just left, <laughs> you know, there'd still be problems, but it wouldn't be our problems. We wouldn't be spending billions of dollars there. And they wouldn't be talking about, Brandon wouldn't be talking about sending our folks here. I'd say he, I, I made a joke. I said, what if this idiot proposes a draft? I said, I said, we should start a rumor that Brandon wants to draft people. And now it's, it's almost there. I mean, that, that joke that I was telling last week is almost today's reality. So, Look, given your experience, and don't give away classified stuff, obviously, but from your experience in Europe, would that have made sense for us to leave, you know, when, when the Soviet Union collapsed and just say, okay, you guys can handle it from here. Our work is done and just, just gone home. Uh, well, I, you know, the, the problem with that is, is that do, oh, doing to the long, uh, well, first of all, the occupation constabulary duty after World War II, and then after that, once Germany became sovereign again, the status of forces agreement between the two countries, you got a lot of business ties that spring up. You know how that Ooh, works. Ooh, wait a minute, wait a minute. All now, these contractual and business arrangements between okay. civilian entities and okay. on both sides, you know, the, the you know the United States side and the NATO allies and the Germans, and then you got all the the the, the you know the bases that spring up and everything else. And look, at that point, it becomes institutionalized. I believe that, uh, along with uh, alleged strategic needs to keep troops there, and the confluence of those two um, dynamics make it almost impossible to completely withdraw troops when they should have been withdrawn. And I think even worse, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, clearly, NATO, as Donald Trump brilliantly exposed, was not carrying a chair fare of the load for right. its own security. It was relying oh. to a degree, it never, an ordinate degree it never should have, in the United States and the United States Armed Forces. And Donald Trump brilliantly exposed that. And now uh, the, 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 the result of it is all too evident. They are utterly unable to fulfill any kind of security mission when it comes to stopping the Soviet, no, not Soviet, the Russians. Germany had 500,000 well-trained, well-prepared, and equipped troops during the time I was there, somewhere in that neighborhood. They had about 5,000 or so, three, at least 3,500 to 4,000 tanks. You know, then, now they've got less than 300 and about 160 to 180,000 men on active duty. We've got more we've got our more armed bureaucrats. We've got two hundred and eighty seven thousand armed bureaucrats with fully automatic weapons and billions of rounds of ammunition. We have more arm we have more army we have a bigger infantry in our government, in our bureaucrats than NATO has in Europe. Staggering. That is staggering. Staggering. And I mean there they so are. Give my bureaucrats. You know, I mean, give my well, I said, look, let them, I, let, I let think what they were Europe. saying was, you know, well, you know, <laughs> we can suck the devil of our spoon as long enough. We don't have to spend a lot of money on the military. So I just got those suckers in the United States and others in NATO who can carry some of this load for us. And meantime, we can spend our money the way we should be spending on our population and our own prosperity. Okay. I get it. It's good. nice work if you can get away with it. But it looks okay. like now the chicken's coming on roost. So let's 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 put the U.S. Army on the southern border. I and mean, I've had Colonel McGregor on the show a couple of times. Oh yeah, said, well, yeah I, I love Colonel McGregor. Yeah, I love yeah. Colonel McGregor. Any, anybody that knows military knows what we should be doing. Yeah, exactly. So he was talking about. He says one of the things that uh, that the Army does well is is patrol borders, is keep borders safe. So I said, well, shouldn't we be on the border with our army? He says, yeah. So here's the thing. Would it make more sense, because uh, I think this is a rhetorical question, obviously, that uh, the, not only should the, the U.S. Army be on our southern border, but they should literally take out the cartels. Just say, look, leave the southern border area, including Mexico, or we're going to kill you. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's what we should do. And just end this. Well, and we, we kind of did that in 1916. We kind of had the loose cooperation of the Mexican government, you know, with the, uh, 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 the Mexican Expeditionary Force, with Blackjack Pershing and... Black Jack, Pancho Pancho Villa, Villa, right? They used to yeah. make raids well, tell me about that. the southern border. People, people don't yeah, know about that. Yeah, but this is far that. worse what's going on now than what happened in 1916. Well, let's give us a quick, uh, quick encapsulation of that. So, so what, was, what was the invasion? What was, who was Pancho Villa, and why did Black Jack, that's General Pershing, who also commanded our forces in World War I, why did he do what he did, and what, what exactly did he do? How far did he go into Mexico, and how did that work? Well, you know, there, there, were, there was a raid, I believe, on Columbus, Texas. Uh, several okay. dozen American c- civilians were killed. The United mm-hmm. States Army had a big shootout with Vista Raiders coming across the border. They okay. killed them, over 100 of them. One major got the Distinguished Service Cross. They pursued them across the border in hot pursuit and killed more of them mm-hmm. with his outfit. And after that, you know, they decided that they had enough of this that it was going on, and all they were doing, kidnapping American citizens and holding them hostage. And Wilson decided to, uh, you know, more or less get the approval of the Mexican government for the incursion across the border. It was kind of, of a mixed bag. It wasn't completely successful. It wasn't a complete failure. But the United States Army did gain a lot of experience 
that was useful in World War One as a result of it, you know, conducting modern operations logistically and everything else. But it was kind of inconclusive. The results of it were actually kind of inconclusive. And after stumbling around the border for a while, they decided to leave back and come back out. There were some skirmishes, but nothing mm-hmm. that was really conclusive. But it did stop the cross-border raids. Okay. So is that the one where I think Lieutenant at the time, Patton, put a machine gun, a 50-caliber machine gun yep. on a Jeep yep. Yep. and cr- yep. created mobile infantry? Patton made his first kills there. Okay. Yeah, he did it. He did it with with uh, mechanized forces of motor cars, and yeah. he mounted uh, machine guns on them. Uh, I think they were uh, 1895 uh, uh, Browning potato diggers and a couple other things. And he went across <laughs> the border and he shot it out with a couple of bandit leaders down there, and he killed a yeah. couple of them personally. And he bought and he tied their bodies to the hoods of the cars and came back across the border with his trophies. See, that's how you do it. I mean, if you're going to fight, fight. You know, this, uh, you know I, I, none of this, this wimpy hey, stuff. that was a real know. deal, man. He, up close and personal, he took out enemies of the United States. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, one of our greatest generals. But people don't know that. <clears throat> the closest thing, if you all, if you all remember the 60s when I was a kid, uh, the Rat Patrol was, uh, I've forgotten the stars of it, the like, great B actors, <laughs> you know, the B-list, right? So they, they put a couple yeah, of... Yeah, I remember uh, that. Yeah, so they put a couple of 50 caliber machine guns on Jeeps, just like uh, uh, General Patton did. They made a TV show about it, and of course, they shot accurately, and of course, the enemy could never hit them. And they had this one German guy <laughs> who was the opposition. It's like, it's totally unrealistic. But the, I thought that was a really cool idea, you know, because, and then oh, wait, still doing that today. It's not so far fetched. The problem is, is that they mm-hmm. turned them into Americans. They were really Brits in the SAS who did exactly that. Oh, okay. They mounted. Like, they bonded Vickers K's machine guns and Browning mm-hmm. machine guns on Jeeps. You had a double twin Vickers mount in the back and two thirty mm-hmm. caliber Brownings in the front and all these small arms. These they were SAS, and they would raid airfields and des- destroy Axis and German aircraft on the ground and do all kinds of behind-the-line reconnaissance, much in the manner you saw the Rat Patrol doing. It isn't that far-fetched. Their stories are unbelievable. In fact, yep. there was a period of time when they were destroying more Axis aircraft on the ground than Royal Air Force was shooting down in the air. Mm-hmm. Yeah, until they I shot mean, they really had a, quite and, a record. They, they did base it on some Axis stuff, and that stuff, you yep. see, where they're getting shot at and they're not getting hit, they were actually doing it. They were shooting up German convoys, and the Germans are shooting back at them and not hitting them, and they're running circles around in their agile little Jeeps. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, it's not that. It isn't that. Crazy, just that they turned them into Americans. They were really Brits in the SAS. They based it off of that. Hey, listen, if you're interested, I want you to think about being our, our regular war historian for the show. Because I love talking about this <laughs> stuff. And it's, it's, I'm serious. I don't know if I to the level okay, of. Uh, no, you, uh, never, just, uh, you don't have to decide but... now. Just, just start being a regular caller, and then we can talk about this. Because I find this stuff fascinating. I always have. Um, but, uh, I mean, I wanted to yeah, be well, an Air Force pilot. Thing about, uh, one glasses. thing I did. Uh, <laughs> yeah, go ahead. I, the history of the world is military history, if you ask me. Okay. Because the borders of every nation are defined by war. That's whether, we, whether we think that is good or bad mm-hmm. is irrelevant. Right. Uh, it just is. The borders of the world have been defined by war. Back and forth, ebb and flow. There was a mighty nation in Europe called Prussia once upon a time. Does mm-hmm. it exist anymore? No. It's now mm-hmm. part of Poland. It's called Galatia. Hmm. 
That's the way things well, work. That's, that's where education War. system came from, actually. The, the Prussian model, the military Prussian education model, is what got adapted for our government schools. That's why they look like factories. Everybody moves to a bell. They have little cubicles like assembly lines. I mean, we're still using the Prussian model of education. There was a video on that, which recently got taken off YouTube. But uh, just look up Prussian model of education. There's still a couple of videos left that yeah. really outline it. It's, it's horrible. So that, that's, what, that's, our, that's what our government schools are based on, which is why I would abolish all government schools. And that's the first thing you do. That was another, uh, uh, that was another artifact of the uh, a progressive era of the Dewey uh, system. Charles Dewey and all the progressive yep. reformers of mm-hmm. education early in the 20th century. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, were, they, were, they, they contributed a lot to that. And they certainly looked at the Bismarckian model of social mm-hmm. welfare to, uh, uh, as, as inspiration for their plans and projects. Yep. The elites go to the private schools. And the cogs in the wheel go to the government schools. You know, and that's that's kind of how it works. <laughs> Amen. Um, you they should, got, if you're they, interested. Got, they got a science to this, man. Yeah, I mean, they really, they, oh, you yeah. know. Oh, yeah. But the, what they've been doing has been relentless and steady since the early part of the 20th century. And, yeah. they, and after World War One, it really kicked in high gear. World War One is one of the most really fascinating did. studies. People don't realize uh, there was a great special on World War One, uh, and they, they had this huge, you know, Grim Reaper with the scythe going through. And I forgot, I think it was a British production, but it really outlined the, the details, the battles and the absurdity of it. And I, I agree a lot to a large extent that war history is 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 the world's history, because that's when the that's when the biggest changes are made is during wartime. Um, but you look at uh, the, the, the way Europe was set up before with the aristocracies and the monarchies, you had a lot of uh, a lot of kings and queens. And you had a lot of generals that had never served in, in the infantry. They were just appointed generals. So they're arrogant. They were stupid. They had no idea how to fight a war. And they were ordering you know, millions upon millions of soldiers over the course of four years to leap out of their trenches, run into barbed wire, and get machine gunned. That is insanity. And yet, that was standard policy. It's, well, we just didn't send enough men. We've got to send more men next time. We'll, we'll get through the barbed wire. We'll, we'll kill them. Of course, the artillery was going off at the same time, too. I mean, artillery, if I remember, is the most deadly thing to soldiers. Artillery is what kills more soldiers than anything else. Yes. Except, now, most, most except of the Afghanistan, which is yeah. caused by artillery. What but percent? you got to remember this. Oh, I, I, you know, I generally uh, uh, share your assessment of the, the donkey-headed generals of World War I, with some exceptions. But okay. uh, you got to remember that they were probably victims of a newly emergent technology trying to come to grips with Napoleonic-era tactics. And it was really a change people didn't appreciate because you had indirect artillery observation you could do for the first time. Heavy artillery didn't have to see what they were shooting at. It could be directed by indirect fire uh, observation by forward observers. You had barbed wire and, most importantly, the machine gun. And when the war started, it was a war maneuver. Everybody's trying to get around everybody's flank. In the meantime, because of all the technological changes with artillery and the machine gun and barbed wire, you had to dig trench fortifications in order to get out of the hail of the storm. So uh-huh. they're trying to get – there was a race to the sea, you know, from from Switzerland to the to the south, 400 miles of barbed of trenches and – Trench system eventually built up, and that's why you had a stalemate. They didn't have a technology that could break through the barbed wire and trench fortifications and the machine guns and the indirect fire artillery until they came up with air support, aircraft that were capable of close air support, and particularly the tank. It took that to break the deadlock because you couldn't use cavalry anymore to exploit, to exploit breakthroughs. 
Oh, cavalry. I mean, it was a cavalry yeah. maneuvering all in mud, muck, in the trenches. So, I mean, the yeah, generals were kind of a victim. So the only thing they could figure out to do was to throw waves of men in an attempt to break through just by sh- sheer massive numbers. The Western Front became a slaughterhouse. But if you look at the the Eastern uh, Front, like in, in, in Russia, you saw wars of maneuver in particular. You also saw it in, in, the, in the Far East, like with Lawrence and his fast-moving mobile Arab columns. And in Africa, with this guy named Leto von Forbeck, a German, who really waged, showed how to wage a war, economy of force war against a superior force using African Ascaris and also German levies. And uh, he gave the Allies fits with his maneuver and his uh, semi guerrilla war tactics. So it depends on where you are looking at the war. Is I'm not familiar with Everybody's that familiar with the Western Front, and that was, of right. course, the most important one, but. Right. There were other things that indicated that it didn't have to be that way. Yeah, it's interesting. So you're talking about World War One because I'm not familiar with that. General. And uh, I spent four years in Australia, so I learned all about the Anzacs in Gallipoli, you know, one of the great military defeats of all time that's still celebrated as Anzac Day. It's, it's quite amazing. Oh, man, um, man. Yeah, Gallipoli was another foul. Of that. You know, what, but see, back then, though, you know what I really admire about uh, so many of the statesmen and leaders back then? Yeah, they'd screw uh-huh. up. Like Winston Churchill was part of the Admiralty, and that was his brainchild, right? You know, right. breakthrough in the Dardanelles. Uh, you know, and we, we, we can get the soft under. He was really big in that soft underbelly kind of thing, yeah, you know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, right. you break there, they'll break the deadlock on the Western Front. Okay. And it all went bad. He took responsibility for it. You know what he did? He resigned his position as First Lord of the Admiralty, mm-hmm. put back on a uniform, and went into the trenches as a battalion commander on the Western Front. Yep. As atonement. No, I, I see that's. But That's... a leader, does, you take responsibility. He felt he was disgraced, mm-hmm. and he felt he had to tone by putting his life on the line in the trenches of the Western Front. And he did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think he had that quote, there's nothing more exhilarating than having bullets go by you and miss. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, he did say that, but he kind of liked it, admittedly. But, but the point of the matter is he had this high position. And uh, and he had to take responsibility for the failure in, a, in, in at Gallipoli in the Dardanelles, and he said, "Okay, I'm going to put my ass on the line like everybody else is." He went into the trenches. Yeah. I think that's really admirable. Well, the British are good at that too. I mean, that's why the royal what, family. What, uh, I mean, what royal, greater... British royal family serves in the services of the British uh, military, so they don't have exceptions. Yeah. Yeah, and that was and that was uh, Winston Churchill's third war. At that time, he'd been in the. And uh, in the Sudan, he, close combat in the Sudan, he survived that. Mm-hmm. And he survived uh, in the Boer War. He was captured. He escaped from a Boer prisoner war camp. Wow. Uh, and then First World War, he went back in the trenches again. Churchill was a real deal. Yeah, see, that makes such a difference, too. Uh, I, I interrupted you, unfortunately. You were talking about artillery. So what percentage of soldiers are killed by artillery? In the First World War, I believe it was something like 70% of the casualties, wow. total number of casualties, caused by uh, artillery fire. Wow. So the trenches didn't work. I mean, ultimately, the trenches didn't work. If there's that many killed no, by the trenches killer. worked. The, the trenches oh, worked to work. keep, but to enable you to hold ground in the midst of all that artillery fire. I mean, right. look at the Somme. When the, when the British launched their offensive on the Somme, they fired millions of rounds of artillery at the German trenches in Flanders. But the German right. trenches and their dugouts were so well constructed. I mean, they were really marvels of 
military engineering, their troops were largely protected from it. It had very little effect on the German front line. And when the British went over the top on July 1st, 1916, they had 20,000 dead the first day. Yeah. See, nothing, you know, 30,000 other casualties because the Germans were essentially untouched in their front line and reserve trenches. Mm-hmm. No, it's, so it's, it's, if trenches madness. were it's, useful protecting the yeah. men, the yeah. problem was is, is that it led to stalemate. Just, you know, both sides going back and forth, fighting over the same ground, a few hundred yards of ground, and the front lines essentially didn't change until the, uh, I don't know, probably the biggest single day from uh, after 1915 was when the Germans launched the spring offensive, the Ludendorff offensive in 1918. And that really was a huge breakthrough. They broke through the British lines around Arras mm-hmm. and penetrated 20 miles in, into their lines. They had these new stormtroop tactics, you know, um, bypass strong points, guys armed with a lot of hand grenades. Yeah, Blitzkrieg. The, new, the, the newly Blitzkrieg. issued submachine guns and... They were fit, well-trained, and had a lot of uh, morale, and they were trained to infiltrate and break through the lines and get through weak points and get back in the enemy's rear. Don't worry about your flanks. Just keep going, going. The follow-up will take care of all the strong points you bypass. And that that was revolutionary. It kind of led to what the Blitzkrieg was later. It was kind of the first precursor of it. I just but they I just broke the through yeah. the lines. They went through, yeah. but they ran out of steam like so many of those things usually do when the spy lines got overextended. And all mm-hmm. of a sudden, these German troops have been under privation for so long, saw all this booty in all these warehouses, and they started <laughs> looting. And it slowed yeah. down the momentum of their attack. Yeah. And the British and the British and French were able to rally, stop, put a cork in a counterattack, push back the sailors a little bit and wait for the Americans to show up. And that's pretty much what they did. You're such a wonderful person with all this knowledge. It's, it's really fascinating. Um, and so you're filling in some gaps for me, because I, I know a lot of the things you're talking about, but certainly not uh, in, in the great detail. So this is great. So we have to go. Um, but thank you so much for calling. And this has been fabulous. And like I say, think about calling. But just call regularly, or as often as you feel like it, uh, and join our conversation. Oh, sure. We, I sure, we but are, I say, but... but regard to this thing in Ukraine, let's just remember what we're looking at. I don't think we can tell what the true facts of the matter is. You've got to look at a map and look at a map you trust to show what the front lines are from day to day. And, mm-hmm. and, and the Russians are, you know, yeah, they left Kiev. I don't think it was ever their intention to really try to take Kiev early in the war. They made a big deal about how they pulled back out of Kiev and they failed to take the uh, airport around Kiev with their elite Russian paratroopers, and that was a failure. But that was never their intention. I think their intention was to draw Ukrainian attention up there while they started to hammer down south. And they were pretty much successful in at least taking those regions. If you look at the map, they're still in control well, it's of just, them. It's just saying that I, was, I suddenly realized that uh, back when Norman Schwarzkopf, Storm and Norman, you know, used to give briefings every day on the, on the Iraq war. We had a map. We had a map. We knew where the, where the troops were. We knew what was going on. They had videos of, of the, the cruise missiles and the smart bombs hitting. And we, we saw it was a TV war. In fact, people were actually suffering depression when they couldn't watch things blow up anymore. It was really sick. But anyway, the point was we got a briefing. Nobody's ever briefed us on the, on the, uh, the Iranian war. No one knows exactly. I, I, myself, and I fault myself for not, for not realizing this until now, but we don't have a good, accurate map of where the battle is. And I think I need to see if I can find something online. But this is very unusual. If the war was so successful, um, they, would, they would have uh, battle maps everywhere. 
And you tell us exactly where yeah. the troops were. You know, we don't have that for this yeah. war. This is fascinating. So now you got me thinking. Now I got to start to look for the battle map. But uh, yeah, you know, the map is really, really tell tale better uh-huh. than propaganda. Does. I mean, you look at the map and see what's going on. You look at it from day to day, and you kind of get a picture of what mm-hmm. actually is going on. This is too much propaganda for both sides for me to place any reliance on it. And I don't trust Biden at all. I know what a liar this, administ- this administration is. Utterly no credibility whatsoever. It has nothing to do with American interests. This guy only gets fired up about the Ukrainian border. He's passionate about defending the Ukrainian border. <laughs> he doesn't give a single damn about ours. Yeah. The Russians said 190,000 troops in the Ukraine initially. We've had, since this guy's been on the watch, what, 3 million coming across our border? Probably more than that. The Russians don't spend 190,000. Yeah, they had tanks and ground attack aircraft and artillery, but still, I mean, numbers, you know, uh, quantity has a way of making up for quality, you know. We got an invasion, you won't even acknowledge. It's maddening. I just found a really interesting map. <laughs> so uh, go to my Facebook page, Greg Penglis, you know, uh, Facebook page or our special investigative group. I'm going to post this, post this a couple of different places. I actually found an interactive map of what's going on in the war right now. This is fascinating. Yeah. Oh, wow. This is great stuff. All right. I'll tell you what. Uh, no, you're absolutely right on our border. We need to do that. But I think um, that the states and local governments – See, what, I haven't even told you the, the best part of our show is the fact that we write citizen legislation. And so we have many bills here, uh, and one of them that, I, that um, we have bills on vaccine product liability, on, on ending big tech censorship. I've got a bill that is a constitutional amendment to take away the power of Congress to borrow money. Uh, but we need to do something with declared wars. We need to do uh, some of the legislation uh, out here on that. But uh, this particular one, yeah, there's no truth here. Brandon's not the president. This is all a total lie. And what you said at the very beginning when you first got on, that it is impossible to believe that Joe Biden on his best day – you know, at his most military, you know, acute and aware, could ever have beaten Donald Trump. So there's no way he could have beaten them from the basement yeah. as, you know, someone with two brain aneurysms who's already mentally deficient uh, and who never campaigned and basically reads the script and lies through his teeth. And there's no way he could have beat Donald Trump. An incumbent president gets 11 million more votes than he got the first time he ran and still yep. loses. And that would mean that 92% of registered voters in the United States voted this last election. And I'm yeah. supposed to believe this? I don't think so. I'm just not. I'm, I'm sorry. It's all just too incredible. Even without any other evidence, I would never believe it. I would say, though, well, I can't. I got no evidence, so I'm not going to say anything else. Nothing I can do. But we've got yeah. plenty of evidence to the contrary to indicate that, yes, the election fraud and the irregularities led to the outcome we see now. I'm never going to not believe it until I get an adversarial proceeding in an Article Three court that is conclusive. And we haven't had that yet. Well, well, actually, no, I don't think we need a court. All we really need Not an are the battle proceeding we have. Well, actually, see, my contention is all we need are the battleground states to, um, to decertify their Brandon electors and, and certify the Trump electors. That's what Arizona should have done after their, uh, after their audit, because it was obvious that uh, the audit proved massive fraud. And this idea that, as, as Bill Barr, the attorney general, says, well, it's not fraud unless there's enough fraud to change the results of the election. No, that's not true. <laughs> you get disqualified however much fraud there is. That's like saying if you only rob a, a 7-Eleven for $20 and it doesn't put the 7-Eleven out of business, you're not guilty of robbery. Yes, you are. It's not how much you steal. It's the fact that you stole. 
That's the crime. It's not how There's many... a legal term for that. It's called void ab initio. That is What's that void mean? from the beginning. Oh. Because uh, like a fraud in a contract invalidates the entire contract. Right. So here's the thing. Brandon is not commander-in-chief, so he can't legally give any orders, which means nobody has to legally follow them. Well, I think that's something that had to be established officially, but I get you. I get the sentiments. I mean, I'm all with it. I, mean, I would challenge it. I think this is a completely illegitimate administration. I yeah. think everything about it is anti-American and anti-destructive. He's a hollow man with no soul whatsoever. He's a, he's a senile, corruptocrat marionette whose strings are being pulled by people in the deep state, the deep state bureaucracy, and his staff. He is not the president. He is not presiding. Others yep. are in his name. And all he's concerned about is, are you protecting me from the grift, and are you keeping the grift running? He's mm-hmm. hollow. He doesn't have any real ideological soul. He has reversed every single position he had 20 or 30 years ago with no explanation as to why he decided to switch. Well, no, it, There's nothing to him. To, but nothing this there. Is, We're looking this, at a hollow yeah. man. I mean, a man just filled to the brim with corruption. That's his whole thing. Not even yeah. really ideology, no matter how much he cares to believe about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Oh, please. But we have a saying around it's here all, that uh, all of this is... the grift, man. Keep yeah. the grift going. And the people I need to keep in the grift are the people I need to say these absurd things to. Yep. Well, you're preaching the, to the choir here, as they say, but we have a saying around here that this is what happens when the government chooses the government. So when the people choose the government, we get Donald Trump. We get low energy prices. We get prosperity. We get jobs coming in. We have NATO paying their share. We get meetings with Kim Jong-il in North Korea. You know, we have a pretty good, stable world situation. We have the Abraham Accords. We have the Keystone Pipeline. We have all kinds of really good stuff. When the people choose the government, when the government chooses the government, you have business as usual. You have the permanent war class. You have ridiculous wars in all kinds of places. You have a surrender in Afghanistan. You have corruption in Ukraine. You have no energy. You have no supply chains. You have no nothing because they don't care as long as they can take the tax money and keep business as usual. So the difference between the people choosing the government and the government choosing the government for themselves. I wrote an article I think you'll like. It's in my substack, gregpenglis.substack.com, called The Nation of Government, where I treat Washington as if it were its own country, where it's like a government country. And the states are the colonies, you know, feeding uh, the nation of government. You might find it interesting. You know, I, I find it very interesting when I hear all these, these absurd arguments. And, you know, all the uh, um, articles in the Constitution notwithstanding that D.C. ought to be a state. It's most, it's, it can't I, be. No, can you imagine anything more absurd than that? No, it's, it's illegal. It's illegal for D.C. to be a state. So they're just, they're just talking about nothing. Uh, anybody who reads yeah, the Constitution knows the D.C. See, they will lose yeah. that representation. You know, I, I mean, that's like, it's like, you know, <laughs> these people are, are uh, learned from their uh, Marxist and neo-Marxist uh, educators yep. about how to agitate and critical. The only thing they do well is agitate and do critical theory. They just criticize, criticize endlessly. Why? Because they want to tear it down and want to replace it with that, with that which it shouldn't be. It's that simple. Yep, no, I got agree. To do with hey, Sarge, I got to go. Or, I got to go. Uh, objective, I gotta, rational analysis has got to do <laughs> with replacing what exists. Yep. Hey, listen, call back. I got to go. <laughs> I got to shut the show down. But thank okay. you, sir. I really nice appreciate having you on. I'll talk to you again. I'll know you next time. There we go.
Thank you. So this is how you do, it, folks. You, you know, you, you type in a live chat, you introduce yourself, you know, and uh, uh, get you on the air. And now we have a hopefully a regular caller. It's gonna be fabulous. All right. So Greg Pengles here for Action Radio, the Action Radio Citizen Legislature. The place you're listening to us is BlogTalkRadio.com/slash/CitizenAction. Our legislative website, where we write our bills and advocate them, is WriteYourLaws.com. That's W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S. If you miss any of that, catch it on the podcast. Um, we have our uh, Give and Go website, Give and Go slash action radio and my new Substack columns uh, and I have a whole series on education if Sarge is interested uh, it's a seven part series it's kind of big but it's a completely new model for how to uh, how to educate uh, all the kids out there uh, and that's at gregpenglis.substack.com uh, and that should do it got a couple things to play for you and then I will be back tomorrow morning 7am central time and we'll do it all again Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. Don't be a rope pilot who just follows procedures. Be a thinking pilot who makes great decisions, who understands all the reasons why we do what we do. You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Pankless Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. Well, that sounds good. Even better. Okay, how about your car? If you want the best service for your vehicle, please talk to James at Florida Stores Automotive, conveniently located at 6715 Caroline Street in the historic district of Milton, Florida, right between the Milton Bakery and the Blackwater Trail. Whether you need an oil change or an entire engine replaced, this is the place. The phone number is 850-623-6651. That's 850-623-6651. Call, ask questions, and get the information you need. Florida Stores Automotive is a full-service automotive shop for both domestic and imports, modern and classic. It is a family-owned business here in our Milton community. Open weekdays from 7.30 to 5 p.m., Florida Stars Automotive is a convenient place to keep your car maintained and on the road. Ask them about Firestone Tires and the rotation and maintenance plan. Florida Stars Automotive. I go there. You should, too. This is Greg Penglis. So what is Action Radio? It is a radio show with its own citizen legislature. That's you, the listener. It is a fully interactive system of listeners, expert guests, social media, writing bills, legislator input, bill submission, lobbying, and citizen action. Action Radio is the future of talk radio using all the available technology in one completely integrated new system. You are listening to Action Radio Online with Greg Penglis. The webpage for all Action Radio shows and podcasts is blogtalkradio.com slash 
citizen action. Please share our show with all your friends and family, both nationally and internationally. The guiding principle of Action Radio is this. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.